Remember the swine flu scare of 1976? That was the year the U.S. government told us all that swine flu could turn out to be a killer that could spread across the nation. And Washington decided that every man, woman, and child in the nation should get a shot to prevent a nationwide outbreak, a pandemic. Dr. David Sensor, then head of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, is now in private industry. He devised the swine flu program, and he pushed it. You began to give flu shots to the American people in October of 76. October 1st. By that time, how many cases of swine flu around the world had been reported? There had been uh, several reported, but none confirmed. Where did this so-called deadly variety of flu, where did it first hit back in 1976? It began right here at Fort Dix in New Jersey in January of that year when a number of recruits began to complain of respiratory ailments, something like the common cold. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, August 5th, 2023. Concise, but not short today. <laughs> For those that know the true meaning of the word concise or how we apply it in the show. It's going to be a big show today. I'm, I'm going to try to do my best not to make it as long as it could be, but there's a lot of important stuff to include today just it's one of those shows where i really tried well actually i take that back i keep telling you i have a really important and i do think it's important section in regard to the transgender movement that i was i keep putting off and not because it's not wildly important i keep adding to it but because i i really still strongly feel like the work we did on that up until recently is still wildly important and still barely most of the media is still barely even catching, if not even there yet, in regard to what these things are doing, puberty blockers and so on. But I, I'm guess I'm thinking I'm going to do that early tomorrow morning is what I'm going to try to do now, uh, if not the next day. But that's my goal. But that will be coming soon. In general, I had to push that off today because it was a huge section. So today we're going to be focusing on quite a few things. I'm going to start with another opening point about health in general, like I did the last show. But And that's, again, kind of where we bring into the East Palestine conversation. But you're going to be – this is not the same story as the one we just covered. It does it, – it stems off the same work, and it also is Scott C. Smith commenting on the work he did there. But it's really astounding. There's two things. I'm not going to jump the gun. I'll get into it in the segment right out of the gate or after the opening points. It's really, it's really important to understand what this is about in regard to the admissions. We've already talked about, about dioxins and what we know the dangerous levels are. And then just the reality that this is still incredibly actually getting worse and higher. It's it's a really disgusting conversation that needs to continue to be pointed out. We're going to talk about some overlaps to that in general in regard to PFAS that I think is very important. We just recently saw them go, oh, no, it's in your water. Oh, no, they've known that for 40 years, right? Let's, Let's recognize what's really going on as we see it kind of get rolled into something else. We're going to talk one. I want to make one quick point about Assange that I think is important at the Biden administration. But we're going to talk about in general foreign policy today. Another point about Niger, an important overlap with Russia and a really important segment about Israel today that I think is really important. That is it's generally the same stuff we try to cover in this topic, but there's more information we're going to add to it that I think is important for the context of a lot of things we're going to talk about. 
We're going to do a focus again on ethnic bioweapons and actually a pretty small one, but it's something we've already talked about, but I thought it was important to include, to give a shout out to new ne- uh, new world next week, James Corbett, James Evan Pilato, some, some of my favorite people in this industry into things that they were just talking about that reminded me about the project for a new American century, rebuilding America's defenses. The idea of the F the very important statement in there about ethnic bioweapons. We'll get to that in the show. If you haven't heard about it, you should stay tuned. It's important. We're also going to talk about Pfizer again and a couple of more videos from the, the hearing. And it's just, it's incredible, incredible how dishonest these people are and what it's really showing us. But we're going to finish with a point about the flu. Because you might, you might have seen, apparently there was just more swine flu cases that popped up in the United States, which never is something that they let go without a big, a big splash. Despite the history of this exact discussion, H1N1. And the reality of how obviously we were lied to, according to the HHS, according to the the uh, WHO, according to Huffington Post. But of course, today we all just magically forget all the things that they pointed out. It's sort of like Ukraine, you know? They're Nazis. Oh, wait a minute, Russia's there. No, what are you talking about? It never happened. These people are clowns, and I think we're all very quickly beginning to see that. But so let's get into it to start. Make sure you stay tuned. There's a lot to talk about. A lot of important stuff. I want to make a couple of quick points to start about. This one's actually not even, it's about mental health. (laughs) I just thought this was fascinating. And I made this point, uh, we opened the Pirate Stream episode, which by the way, same thing. That is a segment that I put off today to kind of rehash some of the things we talked about on the Pirate Stream, support that, and then just go over some of the things we pointed out in in that conversation that are important. I'll save that for tomorrow. But we pointed out something about conditioning. And this was a video about being in an elevator. It was kind of hilarious where it was kind of a joke show, but it made a really important point about how this girl was, there was like 20 people in this elevator and she was the only one that was a real person. The rest were actors, but she didn't know that. And she comes in the elevator, faces the normal way towards the front of the elevator. And everybody else is facing the back of the elevator. If you can just picture that. And at first she doesn't seem to notice, but it, it's so strange. And then they have people come on and get off and they all face the back of the elevator and they're making small talk. And the craziest thing is over the process of about a minute and a half, she kind of just slowly ends up turning and facing the back of the elevator. And it's like, it, I don't, I don't, I know that that's not what I would do. If I, I would be like, why are you guys facing the wrong way? I would ask everybody in the elevator because that's who I am. And I'm not afraid to be the one that's different. Right. And most of you are probably in the same boat, but most people, the human species is, is a herd animal. Like we, we, that's what we do collectively. You know, even look at like the way countries organically in the, for the most part were set up as people, you know, kind of segregated themselves, right? You ended up in your, your communities, your tribes, your areas, and, you know, and that's the point. And, and that doesn't have to be absolute, but the point is that's what we tend to be. And the fact that she just kind of went along with it, knowing that that's weird. And it's just, it's interesting. And what it shows you is one, how that works, whether it's social engineering by kind of just by, I guess, cra- uh, herd think, group think or by design from your government. And I think what we're seeing is they know how this works and it's being used against us in a thousand different ways, scaring us, manipulating, you know, two party illusion kind of stuff. So I wanted to include this point today in a similar vein. Uh, Kanoa the Great shared this. And what this really shows me more so than just the social engineering herd kind of mentality is how easily people are manipulated by the perception that they're supposed to think a certain thing. Now, this is so important to the COVID-19, I mean, really every conversation, but COVID-19 has never been more stark. 
it's very clear that a, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I can't even try to pretend I know the amount or the percentage, but the, so many doctors, experts, I'm not even including the ones that were just bad people that knew and didn't care. So many doctors and experts and nurses and, and, and police and military, they just went along because they didn't know any better and maybe were too afraid to look closely or just thought that they were doing the right thing. And it's that killed people, right? In this case, what he's showing for the podcast, it's Payless Shoes. Apparently, for those who don't know, I guess it's like a, a really cheap kind of a shoe store. You know, it's just like a, like, not like they're bad, but they're just a lower, you know, you go to the mall, go to Payless Shoes and get a cheap share pair of running shoes. So they opened apparently a fake luxury store called Palessi or something. You'll see it in the clip. It's hilarious in Los Angeles and opened it as it's a high-end designer or I mean, whatever. They just like the, you, there was no names on them, but they were the exact same shoes, exact same shoes, shoes that were $35 were being sold for $645. And these people I mean, I'll let the video speak for itself. It's hilarious and embarrassing. Oh, I can just tell how great they are by, by the stitching. So that means that person's a ridiculous liar and has no idea what they're talking about and is saying so because that's what society expects or because they want to be a part of the group. I mean, you think for yourself, but it is everywhere. Social engineering is in every single aspect of, let's just say at the very least this country, but I know it's around the world. And we need to remember that. One other quick side note, my stepdad uh, is retired now, but he was a sommelier. For those that don't know, it just it's like at a restaurant and, and other aspects, but you're like an expert on wine. And he also got involved in selling wine. He told me a story once about how there was a bunch of sommeliers with him at this class, like 10 or 15 of them. And they laid out all these wines, like one to 10, and told them that you have to go along and smell every one of them. And at some point, you're going to notice that there's corked wine. Just for those that don't know, it just means it's bad. And so every one of them went along and, and, and you know, or basically what they said, it was a varying degrees of being corked and let me know when you can tell. Right. And so they start going along and smelling and, and every single one of them was about one or two or three. Like, oh, I, I can smell, I can smell it. Turns out none of them were. And what's hilarious. And this is, and, and my stepdad was the one that was like, I don't really smell it. And they're all like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Turns out that they were all a bunch of jackal idiots that thought that they were, they just wanted to sound like they knew what they're talking about. So they go, oh, number two, number two. None of them were. I find that hilarious. And this is how everything works today. And I think our governments know that. So let's watch this clip. Making headlines by the chain Payless Shoes. They held a grand opening of a luxury store with a different name, but the same shoes and charged hundreds more for those same shoes. Customers paid. Here's ABC's Kana Whitworth. Behold, Palessi. We built a fake luxury store in Los Angeles and filled it with Payless Shoes. The guests at our grand opening party had no idea. Guests invited to check out what looked like a luxury <laughs> shoe shop. They're elegant, sophisticated. I just think it's so classy. And I could tell it was made with high quality material. A $35 wow. shoe going for $645, an 1800% markup. Store owners sat on their heels as fashion influencers emptied their wallets. I would pay for her. Right. Think about this. Fashion influencers, like people that others look to for advice about fashion, like that they know what they're talking about. So they know what is the best brand and which one is the highest quality. These guys don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Does anybody know what they're talking about? 500. Yeah. People are going to be like, oh, where'd you get those? Those are amazing. Then they're let in on the prank. These are actually from Payless. Yeah, you're an idiot. You've got to be kidding me. Shut up. 
Are you serious? But those shoppers were refunded their money and they got to keep the shoes. Yeah. Well, how much you want to bet they made some abstract reason? Well, they're actually very nice and very high quality. <laughs> yeah. No, you're wrong. And you made it up and you're a liar. Right? That's, that's what actually happened. I just can't. I mean, th- that deserves its own, its own show. That whole thing right there should be discussed and, and extrapolated out to everything else we're dealing with. It's so important, I think, the social engineering aspect of this. Now, on the food side of this, and, and you know, again, that point should really kind of flavor everything we're talking about today. It, let's just add it to this next point, right? So we're talking about food in general, food safety, food. You know, we talked about the salmon, farm salmon, how dangerous it actually is and how bad it is and, and how it's being kind of overlapped with everything in regard to uh, uh, natural salmon. In this case, this person is telling you, Dr. Brandon, big food companies have got, have food engineers on staff, which is true. Yes, you read that correctly. People that engineer food. We, this, I mean, that's not even something people need to be sold on today. They're literally trying to push like, food on you now. He says, but why? Well, so they can engineer the food to get a higher dopamine response when you eat it. So getting addicted to it, right? This is how we need to understand addiction. I always recommend uh, 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 Gabor uh, Mate, who's Aaron's dad, actually who has amazing work on addiction, which we just seem to fundamentally misunderstand, probably by design, but that ultimately you can be addicted to anything. Jogging, fast food, it happens all the time. You can also be addicted to things that are highly addicted, like heroin. But the idea, for example, like cannabis, <laughs> is still listed as a Schedule One drug, which means it's zero medical purposes and highly addictive, neither of which are true. Cocaine is Schedule Two, is is as addictive as something like this. It's, it's, you can get addicted to it in the sense that you become so habitually used to it. That's it's, it's like anything else, the dopamine response. Nothing even in the same world as something like heroin, just so you understand that. But back to this point, they engineer these things in order to get you to manipulate you. Like, why can't they just make a good product that wants you to buy it? Well, because that would be honest, you see, because the government and the bureaucracy have allowed this kind of corrupt everything. So you get addicted and you want to buy more. Right. So the point about like, for instance, the beginning is that you get people that are so engineered to think that this can't be true, that they don't even want to look any further. So they turn away and go, that must be conspiracy theory. Right. Go ahead. Follow the herd. Right. The herd will tell you what to do. Here's another trouble. This this story upsets me. I I didn't know where to include this, but I just want to throw it out in the beginning. Just kind of showing you what a bad direction that not just that we're going in, that we've always been in, but we're only really beginning to see clearly today. Remember that story we played about the woman who was forced out? She, she broke her hip and all this horrible stuff because they thought she was just trying to mooch off the hospital and it turned out she had a serious stroke and it was horrible. Well, here, this is really happening. This is reported from local news in, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. It's like I'm worthless. Troubleshooters investigate patient dumping allegations. Look at this. I mean, I'll leave this for you guys to look into for yourself. It's exactly what it looks like. Literally dumping people, elderly people on the street, like like garbage, not just setting you like dumping them on the street because, well, maybe they don't have insurance or you fill in the blank. I mean, you can read the article. It's all the things you might think. And it's disgusting. But this is what's being allowed. Why? I could give you one example because they fired or coerced or removed everybody with integrity and morals. And what you're left with people that are too dumb to know they're wrong or don't care. And that's what you get. Now, in other news and general things, opening points, I think is hilarious. Warner Brothers says the Hollywood strike saved it $100 million last quarter. But cities and states are counting billions in losses to their local economies. Oh, of course, they block it. It's right here. 
These things are so stupid. These are failing outlets, by the way. That's why they need your money. 94 days and counting, it says. That's how long the Hollywood strike's been going on. Did you know that? <laughs> Somebody made a point on Twitter, and I just wanted to make that same joking point that I didn't even know. You know why? Because nobody cares. They're over here screaming about their strike. Nobody cares. You guys have lost yourself. You've pushed this woke mentality through all of your media, and you're be- basically subsidized by, I don't know, the, the establishment. I mean, let's be real. These movies are failing over and over, yet they still keep making them. There's something going on, right? The point is, they went on strike, and nobody cares. Sort of like when they said aliens, and nobody's like, ah, whatever. You guys are liars. Like, they're losing, guys. I just want you to recognize that. They had the powers that wish they were. Huh? That's where they are now. In regard to one presidential point, or, you know, the election or the, the, the selection that we're about to go through, I wanted to make an interesting point in regard to both the Constitution, but as well as these all these different characters that are sort of popping up. I just saw like three new candidates for president that are announcing, and it's just it's going to be an interesting selection ruse. But Vivek is proposing a constitutional amendment that requires citizens 18 to 24 to pass a civics test in order to vote. The same one immigrants take to become naturalized citizens. If that makes you uncomfortable, it should. Because what they're essentially trying to do is unconstitutional. Let me really explain that for the people that are already commenting beneath the post I made. First of all, as a 18-year-old, you have the legal right to vote. To just arbitrarily change that actually undermines the Constitution and, and the 26th Amendment. Now, I'll explain why that's not the same thing. Just an amendment doesn't always, it's not always legal or valid. And I'll explain in a second. But my point is, this is removing the rights of people based on a desire to, I mean, you could argue it's for something good because, well, we don't think they understand. But my, here's, here's what I said verbatim. I said, while I'm all for better educating oneself, having them memorize government propaganda, which is what that would be, let's be real, in order to vote, which is their right, regardless of how uninformed they may be, which that does bother me, but that's also by design. So problem, reaction, solution is the last thing we should want. This is flat out unconstitutional. Now, what I said to follow up was, according to the 26th Amendment, Section 1, the right of citizens of the United States who are 18 years of age or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any other state on account of age. Now, realize the Constitution is one thing. The Bill of Rights is something else added to it, but is considered the Constitution. So the first 10 Bill of Rights were added which are the first 10 amendments, or excuse me, the Bill of Rights, which were the first 10 amendments. Now, since then, they've added amendments. But let me be very, very clear about something. The, this is a ruling in 1803. Steve and I have talked about this, Marbury versus Madison. What it ultimately amounts to is that if, if, if a law or you know anything, if legislation is passed, which includes amendments, includes laws, includes whatever, any legislation that is passed that is repugnant to the Constitution is void. Or verbatim, as the judge said, a law repugnant to the Constitution is void. Now, let's just read what this person said. That's about Congress passing laws. Well, he doesn't clearly doesn't understand that amendments go through legislation. It's the same point. But laws passed by Congress do not supersede the Constitution. I agree with that, even though they do believe that or they act like that, right? We have laws all over the place that absolutely directly contradict the Constitution. So He agrees with that at the very least, but it says, do you not understand the difference between a law passed by Congress and a constitutional amendment? I don't think I I do. And I think he's confused about what this makes a difference in regard to Murray versus Madison. But I said, how do you imagine they pass amendments? I posted a Supreme Court ruling where it finds exactly what I quoted. 
I said, the whole point of the post is if legislation is passed by Congress and is repugnant to the Constitution, it's void. Well, I, I thought I made a point there, but the bottom line is that if a law or an amendment is passed and it's repugnant to the Constitution, the Supreme Court ruling made it very clear that it's void. Now, just because our politicians collectively don't care about that does not mean that doesn't matter, right? So here's my point. There's already been amendments that have been passed that I could point at that are repugnant, contradictory to the Constitution. So therefore, they should be void, but they don't care about that. In this case, let's just take the 26th Amendment. The 26th Amendment is in no way violating or repugnant or contradictory to anything else. It's simply adding to what was originally, I think, age, sex, and color. That's what it says in the Constitution, I believe, or race. So the point is that if you were to pass an amendment that said, well, let's remove race. Well, that would be repugnant to the Constitution. So that's void, right? So the point is that they're arguing, if you read a lot of the comments, I think I just pulled the wrong one, is that, well, they could, if they just pass an amendment like Vivek is asking for it, that says, well, let's change that, then it should be legal and constitutional. My point is that fundamentally means you don't understand the Constitution or how this works. It is not a, a, a... the way that they try to argue that it's a living document is sort of a misrepresentation in and of itself. It's not exactly correct. It, it can be amended as long as it does not violate what was laid out as God-given inherent rights. You see the point? The idea that you can somehow pass an amendment that removes your Second Amendment right that's God-given and inherent is wildly contradictory. And that's exactly why this judge ruled, if it's repugnant to the Constitution, it is void. So what I'm trying to say here is that if this person stands up and says, hey, let's just add something that means they can't vote if we, you know, are whatever the metric they put in, that's ridiculous. And even if you agree with the logic, you're creating a circumstance where you can just start beginning to chip away, which is what they're all trying to do at the Constitution based on whatever you think makes sense today. It, it, I, in my opinion, as much as I acknowledge that it's a flawed document in a lot of different ways, the basic understanding of the constitution is one of the most important things that is timeless it's based on basic morality basic understanding of inner integrity and liber- liberty these things don't just change because they say weapons have changed well no if you read the second amendment it is blatantly obvious what they're saying so anyway i don't want i mean i, I want to harp on this as you could tell because i find this to be really important and i find so many people to misunderstand what the constitution are not laws or freedoms given to us by the government Their whole point they stressed was that these things were inherent, whether or not they ever even went to that room and wrote this stuff down. They just acknowledged what they agreed was God-given and inherent, and that governments can choose to respect that or not. So when you pass something that changes that in any way, that's repugnant to the Constitution, therefore void, based on Supreme Court ruling and the law. As I've always said, just because it is legal, or rather just because they pass a law, does not make it even legal. That does sound confusing for some people, but realize they've already set this precedent. I just find this very terrifying, guys, because Vivek is being raised up by a lot of people on the right, and it concerns me where these people go. Another point I thought was interesting, as it took way too long on that point, I already realized that, Peter Daszak blocked me, which I thought was really interesting. And of course, at first, I'm like, oh my gosh, does that mean that he's you know watching what I'm doing, which would be pretty crazy? I don't think that's what's happening, actually. But here's what I said. Was it, was it something I said? <laughs> You're likely over the target when Dazek blocks you, despite the fact that you've never tagged him, commented on his post, or otherwise engaged with him. <laughs> but I thought I was just a conspiracy theorist in my mother's basement, Peter, right? Am I, aren't I just a meaningless person yelling nothingness into the air? But apparently not, if you're going to block me when I haven't even engaged with you. But this person says, block me before I have interacted with him. I think perhaps they have a block list with all us troublemakers on it. 
I 100% think this person's right. I think this is about the fact, sort of like uh, Nina Jankowitz, I think that was her name again, right? Miss, Miss Disinformation, Malinformation, that they did the same thing, where they just kind of mass blocked these people using some kind of app. Where you're on some like collected list, which think about how ridiculous that is, making lists of all these people. Like it's just in any other circumstance that's super dangerous. But the point is making lists of those they think are dangerous and misinforming and then just mass blocking everybody because that's intelligent, right? To just ignore other points of view that you don't agree with. Gosh, people are such children. But I do agree with that. So either way, that means that I'm on some list. I take that as a badge of honor or he blocked me directly because I posted things like this, <laughs> which I think are important. I already had opened. This is one of the recent ones from in May of this year. Revisiting Fort Detrick, vaping overlap, COVID origins as EcoHealth restarts coronavirus work. It's important to understand the work that they've done, and it's dangerous. And it's, I mean, actually, here, let's go right to the next point. This is how I realized he blocked me because I couldn't see it. Spiro says, in response to his post, I should have had that, actually. Oh, well, I'm not going to open it again. Are you still sticking with bat soup wet market theory? Because here you are on video, Peter. Admitting you received funding from Fauci to work on coronaviruses in China. And another video admitting you did gain a function research with coronaviruses. If you want to find the next pandemic, you should do a lot of work in South America, where there are lots of bat species harboring lots of unknown viruses. You should also do a lot of work in Southeast Asia. So this becomes actually useful. So working with the USAID EPT PREDICT program, and funding through NIAD to work on coronaviruses in China, we were able to test out this idea of predicting what the next emergencies might be. I literally just talked about this with George Webb. It's that interview is most likely coming out tomorrow morning as well. And it's just it's very important overlap with Robert Malone, predict, and a lot of different things. But I think that's interesting. So we've all heard of SARS. We know that SARS is carried by civets. Well, actually, the host of SARS-like viruses, the viruses that the SARS coronavirus emerged from, are bats. Um, we discovered this a few years ago, published it. We found about five different viruses. You can see these ones in green. So we, we thought, okay, we've got an interesting set of viruses. It seems to be the origin of SARS. They're found in bats in China. It's a nice paper. We published it, I think, in, in uh, Science. And, um, you know, it was quite interesting. But then PREDICT came along, the USAID program, to discover new viruses in wildlife. And we worked in China to, to go out and do surveillance in other bat species and say, how many other SARS-like viruses are there? Is there something even closer to SARS? And sure enough, there was. Um, and we've now found a very large diversity of SARS-like coronaviruses. Some are almost identical to SARS. In fact, there's one cave in Yunnan province that has every genetic element of the SARS coronavirus circulating in bats. And uh, there are people out there who are hunting bats in that cave, eating them, people who live close by. And we're now doing surveillance of the people, and we've found using NIAID funding that actually there is potential of spillover into those people. We're starting to see some worrying signs in that part of the world. But if you're saying these are diverse uh, coronaviruses and... You can't vaccinate against them. There are no antivirals. What, what, do, we, what do we do? Well, so I, I think that coronaviruses are pretty good. I mean, you're a virologist. You know all this stuff. But they, you can um, manipulate them in the lab pretty easily. It's yeah. just spike protein drives a lot of what happens with the yeah. coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, zoonotic risk. So you can get the sequence. You can build the protein. And we worked with Ralph Barrick at UNC mm -hmm. to do this. Yes, he did. Um, insert it into a backbone of another 
virus right. and do, do some work in the lab. So you, That's called gate of function. You can get more predictive when you find a sequence. You've got this okay. diversity. Now, the, the logical progression for vaccines is if you're going to develop a vaccine for SARS, mm-hmm. people are going to use um, you know, pandemic SARS as yeah, sure, sure. But let's try and insert some of these other yeah, sure. related and, and get a better vaccine. And I guess also knowledge of what's there. Please. If you see something emerging, you give it a head start on making yeah. a vaccine. I don't see this is so I don't know how intelligent people actually stand on this ridiculous argument. What you're going to you know, make something that literally you design. And then what are the mathematical? So what's the mathematical odds that that's going to organically just pop up in the world? The odds of that are ridiculous. Or, and then just in case, though, we've got a vaccine ready. I mean, I just I think that's absurdly stupid. Dr. Boyle makes the same argument. Anybody honest would acknowledge that's pretty ridiculous, especially since it seems there's more incidents of accidental leaks, accidental in quotes, who knows, versus the one in a billion chance that somebody in a cave somewhere makes the same thing that they made in the lab over here with a vaccine ready, just in case. It's just ridiculous. Or the idea that they're going to keep adding things to make it more dangerous to make a better vaccine. What does that even mean? All these things you're adding aren't anywhere in the world except your lab, and you make a better vaccine by making it to something that's nowhere else? This is crazy. Now, the main point for me that he just listed off there is the fact that we already know this. Yeah, they did in 90s and forward. Absolutely, EcoHealth Alliance, Ralph Barrick, North Carolina University of Chapel Hill, work on coronavirus-induced myocarditis. I don't know why this doesn't get talked about more. It's there. It's they did like seven or eight projects on exactly this using rabbits. I have the documents right here. You can look at it all for yourself. It's crazy. Myocarditis induced by a coronavirus. Isn't that exactly what we're overwhelmed with right now? And they literally, literally funded this. And then, by the way, the next follow up I did on this was then they went work try to make it a self spreading vaccine in these caves amongst the bats. Now, why don't we ask whether or not that got away from them? Or it's all a lie. My point is, it's just so blatantly obvious that the story is is a, is a fault. It's is false. So on that note, about just the dishonesty of everything going on around our health, let's talk about East Palestine again. I really think this is an important conversation that needs to be, I mean, just more than most right now focused on because of how incredible this is. As as I as I wrote on this. In, well, the t- title was "Independent Testing Expert Reports Increase in Dioxins," which we reported in the last show. And residents are seeing more symptoms. Now, this is five months later, and the vaccines are increasing <laughs> along with the symptoms. Now, in fact, let's be clear, and I'll show you this next. They're increasing into May because that's where he did he pulled these samples from and got the information back. But logically, since they're still doing the thing he thinks is causing the increase, which is the moving of the I mean, everything we keep telling you, the digging, the moving, the the laying, you know, the the what's the right word? Uh, I'm blanking on the word they use, but you know, the digging up of the, of the soil and the water, moving it and shipping it all over. That's what we keep telling you, which I know they know that because I've proven this. So they're spreading this around, which is what people like on the Dark Horse podcast have argued. That's about this long-term process to kind of spread this out as far as possible. So when it really comes to time to prove that, well, they go, well, look, it's all over. How do you know that was me? And that's, that's what they've learned with these mistakes like oil spills and so on. They've learned how to do this. And that's why Norfolk Southern quite literally hired the like who's who of how to cover up an accident and it seems to be working like literally even as we have the evidence that shaw himself from from norfolk southern is on the record omitting the most important part about what they should have known which is that the treated vinyl chloride in these tanks were not likely going to explode according to the expert 
He didn't tell the fire chief that, and he made the fire chief made this choice in a 13-hour window overnight. The guy now says he was railroaded, but nobody cares. <laughs> Just unbelievable. So the point here, Terrence points out, I predict dioxin testing all over the U.S., justifying land grabs and farmland taken out of production for public safety. I think, I think that's a valid thing to be concerned about. Now, I've often said from the beginning of this that I do not think it's like one or the other. There was a weird push in the beginning to say that like the dioxin argument was a big false scare tactic, which is certainly possible. But it led to this weird thing that they like weren't even real and nobody should look at it. I, there's all this overlapping conversation. My point was, well, they can both exist in the same conversation. Clearly, it's I don't it's not outside the realm of possibility, especially for the U.S. government to quite literally do the bad thing in order to justify their action. But. Whether or not the point is quite obviously makes sense for them to just kind of go like, especially if it's like a last effort to go fine. You're right. The accidents are everywhere. It's dangerous. But guess what? Now we have to do something about it. So we'll can, we have to get oh, eminent domain or whatever the term they would use to take over the, the process, take over the land for your safety, of course, which would lead into a lot of other agendas. And I just said you may be right. Logically makes perfect sense. As usual, using a problem they created either through mal incompetence, malfeasance or by design to justify the next agenda. Here's the report that just came out that I think is, is the most important part of this. This, this came out uh, two, uh, two days ago. Independent testing in Palestine show, is showing what's being called an alarming increase in dioxin levels. This is uh, WKBN 27, local from, from Ohio. Something has happened where the dioxins have increased in the sediment. And to be clear, we need continued testing of sediment, which that doesn't seem, they don't seem to be doing, as far as I can tell. Again, you can't find what you're looking for. If you don't look for it, that's what Smith has been saying the whole time. Smith took sediment samples back on May 29th. So that's where this is coming from, just to be very clear. He compared those results to samples taken in February from, you know, the same, not the control, but the same dangerous areas in East Palestine right after the train derailment in February. The results show a major increase in dioxin levels and realize this is after He's already found a 14,000% more dioxins in these filters in their homes compared to controls. This is back on July 2nd. Well, I guess technically he's taking the samples from May, so that might actually connect to the point where it's the reason these are 14,000% higher. But this, you know, the point is we're trying to connect this, uh, connect dots in the dark. I mean, that, that, it's a by design by the EPA and Norfolk Southern to keep us all from understanding what's happening. That's my opinion. But I, this is unbelievable how you can have a result from multiple independent experts showing 14,000% more dioxins, which is just unbelievable. We're dealing with the most dangerous thing we know of chemically, TCDD. It's very clear. It's, it is, this is like basically a weapon that's been used before in Vietnam and Ukraine. It was used to try to assassinate a president. I've gone over all this in past shows. It's on Wikipedia for crying out loud. 14,000% is, I'm surprised these people, I mean, that explains why they're getting worse. They're getting more symptoms five months later. Not just more, but increased symptoms. But he says he took these samples 29th, compared them. He said, I found dioxins post-derailment on February 22nd, obviously, and took another reading on March 8th where the dioxins were declining, which would make sense. They're still present and dangerously high because they don't just dissipate and go away. But the point is, if you burn it into the air, you're going to have... To some degree, it's, you know, if the wind blows, you're going to have some kind of dissipation in general. Then, on May 29th, results from Memorial Day came in from the same location with the sediment showing a substantial increase. Smith believes dust and particles being moved during remediation, that's what I was looking for, work could be causing it. And it makes perfect sense. 
They're digging up all this dirt after they just dumped all this in the ground, burnt it off into the air, which then they fell, the, the ash fell back down. They're digging it all up and it's flying back up again. Every time they put this stuff in a truck and ship it out somewhere else and take it to a place that has no ability to actually deal with dioxins, what are they doing? Knowingly spreading this all over the place. I've been saying that and screaming this from the beginning. It says, he, oh, he says, the increase in dioxin levels is alarming. That's his quote. It's something that needs to be looked into further. He feels testing should be continuous. They're not doing that, guys. Now, here's the craziest part. You know I've been on this story. I've been looking for information. Now, you know, given I'm over a lot of different topics, right? But I'm, I'm paying attention to what comes out. I mean, I guess largely from the corporate media and other independents covering the story. But I am paying attention. You would think that if EPA has tested for dioxins, which I've been saying they haven't because that's as far as what I, that's what I can see. If you would think if they tested for dioxins at any point, let alone in April, that we would have been heard, we would have heard that. It would have reported on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or anybody. Now you tell me if you've seen this, but I was kind of, I almost fell out of my chair. I, I read, it says back in April, the EPA apparently released its findings for its dioxin testing. Of 146 sites. Now, the last thing I heard was that, well, the, the background level is the same, so there's no need to, or it's not important to. Okay, so how does that even line up? That was April when this was tested, apparently. I know that quote was after that. So either way, my point is, it seems very clear that this wasn't supposed to be something we focus on. That'd be my opinion. But guess what they found? Assuming this is even real. And that may be the actual point right there, is this may just be arbitrarily made up. But it says, at that time, the EPA stated the majority of its results, which is interesting, by the way, the majority of its results, what were the other ones? Were they lower, higher, shockingly higher? The majority of the results were between 2.6 and 14 parts per trillion. Well, for us, thinking, well, that's high, right? I remember our last coverage. I had to do a little refresher because I haven't talked about this in a minute. I'll get to that next. It says in the data that the EPA provided, it states that 480 parts per trillion would be the removal management level. What does that even mean? Is it dangerous, that level? Like, it's, it's, you get, this is the equivalent of what Pfizer's doing in front of the hearing. If it's dangerous, say so, so people know what's going on. Like, management level removal. So isn't that what you're already doing? I just, it, it just grosses me out how politically, you know, they're obfuscating things by this very statement. But it says, Smith's test showed that all but two of the dioxin types recognized are in fact above the 480 parts per trillion base number. So even what even if that number they post, the number they state, I said I guess post, but state, he's telling them they he's right now finding levels that are above that. So even their stated number, which I'm about to show you, is drastically higher than what's supposed to be safe. He's finding levels higher than that anyway. And just, what do I keep telling you? They just go, we disagree. <laughs> You're wrong. Well, we're not wrong. He, it's backed up by multiple independent tests and all of the people sick still. So how, who's wrong here? Are they all dealing with anxiety still, like you pretended in the beginning? I mean, this is gross, like really shameful. Word I used on Twitter, dastardly the other day. I like that word. I, it's mind-blowing. So let's get into the number. 2.6 to 14 parts per trillion. That's what they're saying is the, the results they found. Majority of 146 areas. Well, here is one of the easiest ones I looked up on the World Health Organization. Like, don't you remember the beginning of COVID where they said, don't challenge WHO guidelines? <laughs> Funny how that worked out after that, right? 2016, dioxins and their effects on human health. 
cut to the chase. Here's what it says. In order to assess long or short-term risk to health due to these substances, total or average intake should be assessed over months, and the tolerable intake should be assessed over a period of at least one month. The experts established a provisional tolerable monthly intake, PTMI, of 70 pictograms, pictogram kilogram per month. This level is the amount of dioxins that can be ingested over lifetime, lifetime, without detectable health effects. Okay. 70 pictograms, kilograms per month over your lifetime is dangerous, right? That's what they're telling you just to make sure that's very clear. Well, here is one of many that say the same thing that I looked up. If I'm making a mistake or you think it's, please tell me, reach out. So as far as I can tell, based on this breakdown, 70 part uh, pictograms, kilograms, compared to it, uh, breaks down to 0.07 parts per trillion. Okay, so just to make sure you're on board here, what the WHO is saying, the monthly amount should be, breaks down to 0.07 parts per trillion. Okay, so now let's go back to what the EPA is saying. They're telling everybody that they just found in one spot an average of 2.6 to 14 parts per trillion. I mean, we're talking what? What's that? Like, so if it was 0.7, 10, that would be... Oh, wait, no, actually, it's point. Let me make sure I'm not getting it wrong. That is 0.07. So, man, my God. I mean, we're talking what? I don't even know how to break that down. 100 times more than it would be. Either way, 14 parts per trillion or 2.6. Now, we're talking over here per month. But if we're telling me that in one, in one test, in one location, you're finding 2.6 part per trillion and you live there, that you're not going to accumulate 0.07 per month? I mean, guys, this is what I keep trying to point out. The very information that they're weirdly putting out in different times, I've already done this before with something else they had, that in real time proved that what they either on purpose or accidentally put out shows you that they're lying. What they just said by not without maybe not realizing it is you're in danger. They're going, well, but we feel that 480 parts per trillion would be where we need to remove it. But you see, is that the same as when they're in danger? So a uh, graveyard pirate says 200 times the level, right? So if we're dealing with 200 times the level, that the, the WHO in 2016 said you should absorb every month. And this is in 146 locations around East Palestine. What are we talking about? This is a cover-up. And I don't know if it's just so clumsy and malfeasant, they don't even realize they just told us something that proves that's the case. I don't know. But all I do know is that at this moment, there are people all throughout East Palestine that are still suffering, vomiting, headaches, fissures on their face, acne, all sorts of things. By the way, all of that means that if it's that outwardly shown, that internally, they're in for a long ride. Cancers, immune suppression. I mean, and everything we talk about. It, it, it breaks my heart. And get, but right, guess what, though? There's a baffling rise in cancer all over the country. So guess what's going to cover this when it comes up? Oh, well, it's everywhere else, too. Yeah, because everywhere else is also struggling from some other cover-up or some other EPA f- failure or FDA or on and on and on. It really does kind of make me mad, man. It does. This is so very obvious. Now, make, this, this is one of the important articles to realize that this he that tested this from their own filters in their homes. So we don't need their... I guess, pretend it's okay statement that shows that it's not okay. 
because you can prove that in the most dangerous locations, right inside their homes, you're finding 14,000% more dioxins than in a control area, which by the way, I'm willing to bet you the control area all, probably has a, a too much dioxin anyway. So it's just, this, it, this is so unnerving to see. And let's not forget, as I pointed out a moment ago, They've already found, the independent review found that the controlled burn, which wasn't a controlled burn, was actually unnecessary. That was their own finding. The document is right in this page. You can look at it for yourself. And then I point out that Norfolk lied because you can prove by omission that they he was told and didn't tell the fire chief. The fire chief would have made a different choice if he was told probably not going to explode, don't you think? But for some reason, they wanted this to happen. Or they realized it was the fastest way to get the train back on the track everyone else's expense. You could think for yourself, pretty damn clear to me. Now, this is also something I thought was ridiculous that I didn't see, that I'm thinking, how in the hell I didn't see this? But again, I'm looking at a lot of stories, so I do miss things. U.S. files lawsuit against Norfolk Southern in derailment case. Now, guys, this is from this is from uh, March 31st. The U.S. Department of Justice's, uh, the U.S. Department's, the, the U.S. Justice Department's Environment and Natural Resources Division has filed a lawsuit against Norfolk Southern. So think about how crazy this is. Norfolk Southern is basically being defended by the EPA while they're being sued for not doing this properly. <laughs> this is just so ridiculous. As Steve often says, we live in a cartoon and it's becoming impossible not to laugh at, well, cry at the same time, I guess, for its role in these Palestine train derailment in Ohio. The civil lawsuit, of course, because we can't actually put someone in jail because that would violate their tiered system that exists clearly but we will take their money of course because this is a mafioso campaign they claim that norfolk southerns unlawfully polluted the nation's waterways when it burned off and released hazardous chemicals into the environment again that's the same point because they already found that what they did was not even necessary can you, i mean i can't wrap my mind around how this is not the gigantic story after uh, well i do know why because they want you focused where they want you focused because we're not dealing with real journalism in the corporate media this is a huge story that's going to affect the center of this country, if not the entire half of the country or all of it for a century. Or let's be very, very clear, as I understand it, dioxins. Well, there's a lot of debate, actually. You could talk about 10 years, but there's some that say even longer. But the fact that this builds up and sits and stays and who knows what's going to happen next that develop in the fat in your body. So this is an ongoing long term problem that is a huge deal. Now, it says the complaint is asking Norfolk Southern to pay costs for its environmental cleanup under the Clean Water Act and for a judgment to hold the railroad accountable for past and future costs. Yeah, that goes to where? To the government. All right, so they get their cut and everyone's happy. Meanwhile, people in East Palestine are still struggling. When a Norfolk Southern train derailment last month in East Palestine, Ohio, it released toxins into the air, soil, and water, engaging, endangering the health and safety of people in surrounding communities. That's Attorney General Merrick. The Justice Department and the EPA are acting to pursue justice for the residents of East Palestine. Sure. And ensure that Norfolk Southern carries the financial burden for the harm it has caused. Okay, well, when this never happens, remember I said that. Because it won't. These people will not be held accountable unless we see some massive shift in the way this goes forward. Because right, if you hold them accountable, that changes the field for everybody else. Which, my opinion is, that's the last thing they want. So they're going to probably go through this process, but whether this translates into money for people in East Palestine, I highly, highly doubt that. Since the EPA is acutely involved with the cover-up itself, which I believe Norfolk Southern is well aware of. 
EPA, I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens in the background where they go, well, look, we'll, we'll make this term. Well, you know, I don't want to, I could theorize all day, but I really believe these things, this is how this works, that they would basically say, well, look, we're going to go through this process and you have to end up paying a lot of money, but that you'll be, you know, no legal accountability. Well, they'd probably take that deal. EPA Administrator Michael Regan said it will take the EPA about three months for its com- to its for it to complete its cleanup at the crash site. Yeah, well, too late. Well past that, right? So it's, it's still not, it's still a, it's, it's increasing. About 4,600 tons of excavated soil were removed, <clears throat> which still remains 26,700. Think about that. Five months, 4,600 have been removed. 26,700 toxic soil remains. Tons, tons, 26,000 tons. So just do the math. If it took them five months to move 4,600 tons to places where it's hurting those places too, and you're not even incinerating it in almost every place you're sending it to, and even when you are, you're simply more spreading more ash in those areas, what, what did that break down to? What, 10 years? <laughs> I mean, this is just obscene. Norfolk Southern has been under the EPA order to get rid of the waste, and Regan said it expects the company to comply. Oh, that's great. Please, Norfolk, do what we're told. Compliance includes insisting waste disposal companies honor their contracts. Just so broken. And let's not forget the Clean Harbors Waste Disposal Ohio scandal. Please watch this. And the other one. They're sending this stuff to places that I proved by speaking to the locations themselves and doing extensive work on the process. Watch for yourself. It'll blow your mind. They know that they cannot deal with this. Neither PFAS or dioxins. Most of the places they're sending don't even have an incinerator. I proved this on the show. Nobody cares. So we clearly, I mean, look, they, if they tested in April and found dioxins and then sent it here, that sh- that's a crime. <laughs> they know they're not dealing with this properly and they just don't care. Now, talking about hormone-disrupting chemicals or endocrine-disrupting chemicals like dioxins or PFAS, it's really ridiculous that right after we make this huge push to show you that PFAS are also everywhere, forever chemicals that have been talked about for a decade or more. Suddenly they go, oh no, we've, we're finding it everywhere. In your water, in your bottled water? Well, yeah, because that is the whole, you're putting it in plastic, first of all, which I guarantee is not even properly regulated. It's like everything else. But what I think is interesting is why suddenly they're pointing at it. Well, remember this? It's probably, I mean, it's one of the things people often point out, and it's always a thing to consider to cover up all the things they're causing elsewhere. Oh no, PFAS. We, we didn't even know, but you did. We can prove it. But they're saying these forever chemicals are reducing women's fertility by 40%. That's because they're endocrine disrupting chemicals. And we already talked about this. You can watch this show if you want to understand more about it. Are endocrine disrupting chemicals causing gender dysphoria? Let's look at the evidence, which finds very clearly, according to peer-reviewed science, yes. Not, not, not every sign, no matter what, but yes, it can and does. Very clearly. Now, a whole other conversation here that we got, we've got into recently, there's people writing books about this. This is a good thing, they would say. It's liberating, right? We're turning people trans. That, this is openly being written about. Of course, when you say that, you're a conspiracy theorist, but, but, you, but they're writing about it. Oh, you're crazy. My point is that this is important to understand, and it's being allowed to happen to some degree. So now they're going, in, in March 24th of this year, Oh no, PFAS that we've known about for 20, that's what's, it's, it's, it's insulting to our intelligence, but they're pointing out women's fertility, which I do think is a part of that. But you know what else is doing that far, far more aggressively? The COVID-19 injections. So now suddenly they're like, we have to do something because this is the problem, right? 
EPA to limit toxic forever chemicals in drinking water. Okay, why do you care now? Why haven't you stepped up 10 years ago? I mean, we've already gone over this. I've shown extensively that they knew about this. Isn't it strange they only suddenly care when we start pointing at it? It's just embarrassing. PFAS chemicals, endocrine disrupting chemicals, contaminating our water and food supply. Yeah, they have been for a long time because of, you know, either the choice to make it happen or the lack of enforcement on places that do produce these things. It's everywhere. It's in everything. It's all over the place. That doesn't just happen by accident. Lastly, remember, we just talked about this, and I do plan on going deeper on this in particular, but today is not the day. Why proposed PFAS chemical bans might do more harm than good. You see, that's how it always works. So finally, after decades of ignoring and hiding and uh, and covering it up, they go, wait, maybe we should do something. And then somebody jumps in and goes, wait, (laughs) semiconductors, plastics, we need them for freedom. Uh Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it's okay if we all, if everyone starts dying from cancers, as long as we have our semiconductors that we need for freedom or whatever the argument is. That's what's happening here. It's really ridiculous. They're making a genuine argument that even though this is hurting people, which they've known about forever, that we need that, you know, we've we've created a situation where we need the things that these that are causing PFAS for X, Y, and Z. That's what this is. Who cares about the health consequences? Well, we do. Everyone does except the government. Well, let's talk foreign policy. And this is one of the easiest examples for the average person to stand back and recognize who we're actually dealing with. But I always think it's very important to realize that if you're able to see who these people are in regard to other countries, recognize they're the same to you. It's no different. It's just easier to see when they're pointing at somebody else. But Yanis points out in regard to Julian Assange, Mr. Biden, you voted yes to the illegal invasion of Iraq by U.S. forces. Right. The, 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 war, the illegal war, which was the focus of collateral damage that showed Reuters journalists being killed by U.S. military bombings. And then he got put in jail forever. And everyone else that said anything about it. And anyone that was involved never got investigated at all because freedom. Right. Now you're pursuing to the death Julian, who exposed those crimes committed by U.S. forces in Iraq. When will you stop doubling down, adding one criminal choice to another? Well, criminals tend to do that. No, this is not some byproduct of accidental choices. This is deliberate because Julian Assange is a very uncomfortable thing for them. But let's not forget that it's on the surface of all of this, the way they handle this, the way they discuss it, that they don't care about this. In my opinion, they're happy to leave him in this prison limbo forever as long as we don't talk about it. But just to remind you, here's what Kareen said or didn't say in her word soup, nonsensical answer to everything about Julian Assange when asked if it's hypocritical that this is happening while we point out Iran and Russia and China. That's freedom question. Uh, advocates on, on Twitter today have been talking a great deal about how the United States is engaged in hypocrisy by talking about how Evan Gershkovich is held in Russia on espionage charges. The United States has espionage act charges pending against Julian Assange. You respond to that criticism. Say, what is the criticism? Well, the criticism is that uh, the, the, the argument... That's just dumb. Now, either she didn't understand, which is embarrassing, or she you're just going, what, what do you mean? I don't get the connection. Obviously, you get the connection. Clearly, and that's just the way to kind of push it along. Julian Assange is a journalist who engaged in the publication of government documents. The United States is accusing him of crime under the Espionage Act. 
and that therefore the United States is, is, is losing the moral high ground when it comes Lost. to the question of whether yeah. a reporter engages in espionage as a function of his work. So can you respond to that? Look, I'm not going to speak to Julian Assange in that case from here. Can't even say his name properly. It's just so embarrassing. Uh, what I will say is, and you heard directly from the president, uh, when today in his statement on this uh, on this anniversary, but also uh, during the dinner where he talked about the freedom of the press and how important it is. So you heard directly from the president where he talked about the freedom of the press. That makes sense? That doesn't even make sense in, in, in English. Like, you're, you're not, it's a not, as they say right there, free word soup for a lifetime. <laughs> I know I, I know I probably gets bored. I always point out how ridiculous she is, but it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It is to protect uh, journalists because it is part of our democracy, right? It is important <laughs> to have that uh, if we want to have a democracy. Right, so she never even got to what he said, apparently. Just went, you're just jumbling, mumbling out nonsense because you don't want to answer the question. Right? It is part of, uh, part of, uh, uh, part of how we move forward, the fa- telling the fact. What is? What, what's part of moving forward? Ah, oh, damn it. But also uh, during the dinner where he talked he about the freedom about of the press. Freedom of the press. Okay, freedom of the press. It is to protect uh, journalists. And how important is it to protect journalists? Freedom of the press, protecting journalists. Because it is part of our democracy, right? It is Protecting journalists, I guess that would make sense. It's important to have that uh, if we want to have a democracy, right? Okay. It is part of, uh, part, of, uh, uh, part of how we move forward. The f- part of how we move forward is having a democracy or... or I'm not wasting time. I love making fun of her because it's just so stupid. Like, this is what kills me about, I mean, other countries do it too, but why can't we just all be real and be like, this woman is ridiculous. She's not saying anything of value or anything at all. In fact, it's just mumbling nonsense. I I don't, it, it, what it does is it makes other people look at us and laugh at us, all of us, because this is the person being presented as what we are. And that's really embarrassing. Telling the facts, being able to tell the truth, telling the facts. and be able to report us to do that freely. And so the president's going to continue to speak to that. Uh, the president's going to continue to work to make sure that these Americans who are, again, held hostage. Julian Assange, you mean? Oh, no, not that one. <laughs> we don't care about that one. Who are wrongfully detained, come home. And that is something that we have seen under this administration. He was, he's been able to do more than a dozen times. And so you see this president's commitment in just this last two years. We put forward additional tools uh, to do that, uh, to, to deal with this matter. And so that's what I... Julian Assange? That's what the context would imply, but that's not what she meant, because she's ridiculous. But the point is that you're very clearly ignoring that this is embarrassing, right? Many of the people you're talking about in regard to... And, and, and overlap, what was her name? Uh, Greer... You know, the man that came back, that guy was arrested for, you know, the woman, the woman's basketball player. That man was arrested for cannabis. And you act like this is some kind of travesty, like the person broke the law, right? I mean, you guys put people in prison in this country for cannabis and you act like Russia is political. It's just stupid, right? You are talking about one of the most important whistleblowers or publishers of information. Julian Assange is a journalist that exposed very clear crimes that quite literally nobody except that one ridiculous person, I forget her name, the DNC woman a while ago, that tried to pretend like, we don't know if those are even real. We do though, because nobody denies that what he said is real. We know that. And they just keep him in prison while acting like they have the moral high ground. This is why people laugh at us. I can speak to, that's what I can speak to the president's commitment on this. I'm not going <laughs> to uh, weigh in on uh, comments about Julian Assange. Go ahead. Embarrassing. So embarrassing. 
as the person says down here, eight hours of curlers and makeup, zero content. <laughs> so sad. Well, let's talk Niger in regard to that exact point of U.S. hypocrisy. The U.S. government and French hypocrisy in this case, Western government hypocrisy. Let's catch up on what's going on in Niger for those that have seen us covering this so far. Megatron points out, Niger has suspended all diplomatic ties with France. Not surprising. The United States, uh, uh, Togo, and Nigeria. We're actually going to talk about Nigeria later in the show, about vaccine injuries. And is withdrawing its ambassadors. The U.S. C-17A military transporter arrived in Benin today. And within hours, the Benin government has given support for a military strike on Niger. Like this is this is feeling like it's actually going to be something a little bit serious, like far more serious, because this is actually really important for the U.S. government, in particular over everybody else. That's what's really driving this, guys. Their pipeline, as well as their very important step uh, a foot. Why am I blanking on the term I usually use? Foothold. They have a drone base. In Niger, too, I think, actually, but they can't access them now. And in fact, the as it was last time I checked, the air traffic was shut down, so they can't even they can't do anything. I mean, they probably will and don't care. But the point is that ultimately, this puts a very a restriction on what they're trying to accomplish. They don't want that. They want full access, like they do with anywhere else they control. So this is going to be a problem for them because they're losing influence everywhere. And if they lose this, they lose a lot of strategic uh, positioning. For the world stage, Nigeria has deployed its air force to the Niger border. Negotiations between ECOWAS, USA and France backed, and the new government of Nigeria failed. Shot, not no surprise me. This is just a, a puppet entity that's being driven to take military action, and they've already sanctioned them. Despite the fact that I think it's pretty damn obvious this was a revolution based on the fact that they see the Western governments siphoning all of their wealth. The people seem to support this. Like, it's just so embarrassing how they support. They support this literally anywhere, no matter who is running it, if it's against one of their enemies. It can be the most obvious terrorist in the history of the world, and it's a freedom revolution as long as it's against people they don't like. And in reverse, you can find the most obvious revolution for freedom with some kind of declaration of independence and, and a process and international observers, and they will call it a coup and a junta and everything else they use because they just don't want to acknowledge that this is what they pretend they support. Declaring independence. Because what they're doing is declaring independence from the U.S. occupation. That's not what they want. The U.S. is dropping military cargo around Niger with its warplanes and preparing its vassals to attack. This is going to get serious, I think. Now, Megatron also reports that the France has reaffirmed support for ECOWAS. That didn't, that's completely expected. And the military intervention that they're threatening to defeat uh, Puchists and restore President Bazoum, who is the puppet that was removed... The Ministry for Europe and Foreign Affairs says France strongly and firmly supports ECOWAS's efforts to defeat the coup attempt. Funny how they, see, they can't even be real. It's not a coup attempt. It's over. They completed the coup and they have control. But you see, they just, they can't even be, that. they just can't give them, because that would suggest that they succeeded in some way. This is how childish, so in, immature these people are. To, you know, the efforts to defeat the coup attempt and restore President Bazoum and the future of Niger and the stability of the entire region. Or maybe because they want people listening to think there's still a chance they can put back, you know, that's how it works. France officially supports the invasion and occupation of a foreign country. Not surprising at all. There will be sanctions from the world for the aggressor, France. Or will there be? 
Of course not, because this will be framed by the powerful in the world as France restoring democracy, even though it's the exact opposite as it appears. Or whether you think it's neither are destroying democracy, France is not in the interest of Niger, period. Now, this is yet to be seen, whether this group is. Now, Sprinter points out something. This is a NATO ally. I always think that's important. This is Erdogan, the, the, the leader of Turkey, speaking up and contradicting its, his own allies. He always seems to do this. It's so fascinating how the weird role he plays, both in Syria and it, it seems, it, I, I don't know how Erdogan made this happen, but he seems to be this kind of wild card in the NATO situation where he just does whatever he wants. And it's interesting to me. There's probably something to it. Somebody who knows more about it, let, let me know in the chat. But it says, what France did in Algeria, Rwanda, Mali, all of this is in all of the archives of the world. This is what I always tell you. The rest of the world who is under the boot of these forces, they know more than anybody who these people really are. I don't mean you as the, country, as, the, as the people of the country. I mean the government. And they know that too, guys. Trust me. They, they have the internet. They see what most of us are pointing out if they actually look at the internet, not just what the media is saying. What he's saying is they know, right? They all have the information about what you are and what you've done. Erdogan presents, Sprinter writes, a memory pill to Western society about the deeds of, quote, civilized Europe in Africa. Quote, Africans remember it very well, which is why this is happening. Now they have completely cut off the supply of gold and uranium to France, which is a really big deal. One of them, and really not just France, but the West, right? It's important. And that's largely one of the military reasons I think this is going to be pushed. He says, this is a response to the oppression that these countries have been subjected to for many years. I agree. Now, as much as I can be you know, objective and see a lot of the really terrible things I think Erdogan has done, he does seem to step in and say things I agree with quite often. But whether that's because he means them or not, you can ask yourself. But ultimately, I do think there's a lot of things to be concerned about from him as well. But that is a true statement, I would argue. Now, here's an interesting post from Loki. A mid-press news post, it looks like. Oh, I didn't, I, th I didn't even know that. I didn't know he was the host of a mid-press news show. Isn't he a musician, I thought? In any case, that's cool. That's cool to know. But he makes a really interesting point here. He, he says, we are occupied by the United States. This is from in, in the sense of Britain. There are 12,000 troops spread across 11 bases. Like, we don't think about it like this, right? But they, just because the current people in control act like that's expected and normal... Is that what the people want? Isn't, aren't the people the ones that we pretend are in control? Right? Uh, they don't want that. Right? That's pretty clear. And depend, if somebody who was in power didn't want that, they'd probably be removed and be replaced by somebody who is a democracy lover. No, a puppet of the West is what I actually meant. Now, let's listen to what they had to say. I think this is really important. Occupied by the United States. Um, and no one talks about it. But we have the 12,000 troops that we know about. Um, uh, spread across 11 so-called RAF sites. They're still called, they're still owned by the Ministry of Defense, but they're mm -hmm. operated by the Americans and effectively they're American bases. Um, RAF Crowton, which is where Skoulis was, is a massive CIA station. They now think, uh, think about what they can do with that. Now, obviously, I, I mean, at least I would argue that doing so in, in England or the UK in general would be a little more kind of, you know, obvious, conspicuous. But at the same time, what they do in, let's say, Georgia, right? All the biological testing that we clearly know that they're doing that the people around there are always screaming about or anywhere else. And they do it over there because nobody's paying attention for the most part. I mean, God, think about Africa. We don't even, we barely hear anything about what's going on. There's a whole continent of area and, and bases and U.S. biological labs, terrifying, 
which is why we see things pop up. That's what Dr. Boyle says. But what's interesting is that what, what could they do with this? What, think about what they could do in testing or any number of things, because it's not ultimately going to like, think, I mean, look, we have examples. If you, you know, one of the possibilities was the idea for COVID-19, if you think it's even real to begin with, is the idea of the military games and Fort Detrick. And you can show a trail that, that very clearly seems to suggest that there was some kind of overlap there. Like then got spread or, you know, maybe used by the, by the Chinese side. I mean, however you look at this, there's an interesting line there that, ne- that at least on the corporate conversation, never gets drawn back to the U.S. in any, even like, could it be? And that's my point. So something pops off in these areas, they're not going to go, did the U.S. do it? Because that's the controlled narrative. So th- that if the U.S. government has these bases all over the world, they can do whatever they want. And it ends up just being this conversation about the local area, if it all, if talked about at all. They're saying there's up to a thousand spies there. Then you have GCHQ Bude, which is GCHQ's the largest intelligence agency in Britain. And it has a, a site in Cornwall where all the transatlantic cables uh, come to. And that's uh, Snowden's leech showed that that is operated effectively by the NSA. They pay for its maintenance and, and all sorts. So, um, yeah, it's an occupation of military and intelligence. The interesting thing is you can get quite a lot, of, well, not a lot, you can get figures about the American troops. Now, you can't get any information about the spies. None, which is, which is outrageous. We're a sovereign country. If we've got a thousand spies at one base, that's, how can you be a sovereign country if you have a thousand foreign spies at one base? Uh, uh, here's the problem. You're not, right? If you're literally occupied by a military force, you're not a sovereign country. How can you ever be a sovereign country if your main uh, intelligence agency is has uh, one of its main sites being run by a foreign intelligence agency? But it's all, it's all assumed that we are just the 51st state, and effectively we are. I, think, I mean, you know, it's just a sad thing to, to realize, you know? And I don't think this needs to, this shouldn't, in my mind, this isn't about, you know, it should be perceived as the U.S. It's, this, these are the government, if anything, the U.S. government, but it's, it's larger than that. This is a, a bigger agenda. I think we're all beginning to feel and see, whether it's the Great Reset or more. <clears throat> but here's another interesting point in regard to Pakistan. Pakistan's unelected coup regime has quietly approved a security pact with the U.S. military. Now, here's what's interesting. Why aren't we hearing screams about this? Right. Emron Khan. Who had pretty good dealings with Trump. Right. Suddenly he's overthrown. It's based on a 15 year military agreement. Well, that's why, <laughs> because the U.S. government gets what it wants. Right. So there's somebody in line in this area, whether it was justified. Like, think about the idea here. It's it, nobody voted for this. It was a coup. They, they overthrew the government and put somebody in place. Now, why do they support that? Is that democracy? Is that democracy? Well, no, they support it because this guy will do what they want. Or at the very least, we'll sign agreements with them where he might not have done it on the other side. Same thing here in Nigeria. They're saying, get the F out of here. We don't even want to talk to you anymore. That's they're going. Oh, so coup then (laughs) not revolute, not freedom coup because you don't like us. I mean, it's just so embarrassingly transparent. And this is my point. Everyone around the world, other than people lost in the two party paradigm, are able to see right through this. You don't care about freedom or the law or democracy. It's the people you can be, you can use, All right? So they signed a security pact for the U.S. military to be there on the ground inside of Pakistan and to be used militarily for 15 years. It's just, it's just very transparent what they're trying to accomplish and, and embarrassing and hypocritical that they would pretend one is valid and one is not simply based on their benefit from the situation. 
Well, the cradle points out in showing you the, the shift that's happening in Africa and why they're so concerned about this. And what's interesting is this gets framed by mostly right-wing people, but the people lost in the two-party paradigm, the illusion that it is, that the Russia is overtaking Africa. Well, it's not really overtaking when you're making signed agreements to people that they want. As I've said all the time, I have no doubt that Russia is using its political power, its position to get get more out of the deal than they're getting. But they're still signing the agreement. Not while they're occupying the territory, you understand. They're signing an agreement, and then they make de- then there's involvement. I mean, you could argue that maybe I misunderstand it. That's certainly possible. But what I see from the people, from the governments, they're making agreements with, with another a group that is offering them some kind of agency here. Whereas your other side of it, you have the U.S. government that says, terrorism, move out of the way. We need to fight bad guys, and they just steal all your resources. That's not what anybody wants. And the evidence throughout the last 100 years or more, long before the U.S. government shows you that. And everybody in Africa is well aware of that, except the puppets telling them otherwise. And so the cradle is pointing out a map of African con- countries that have signed military agreements with Russia, all the red. All right. So this is shifting. Now they're going to, they're right now going to, and continue to try to make this out to be some kind of an invasion. But really what they're saying is we just can't allow Russia to have power because that means we're not powerful. So screw what the people want or what they need or what will benefit them. We want to occupy these territories and hurt those people so we can be more powerful than Russia. And then we just move all the way and say freedom. <laughs> and it works. It makes sense, right? Here's another interesting point that Sarah Abdallah makes. Here's Russia's aggressive expansion all the way since 1987. You ready? This is aggressive and crazy. a bit different, isn't it? I, I don't even need to show you guys the, the image of all the bases all around the world, the encroachment of the NATO alliance right up to the border of Russia, which violates a previous promise by NATO and the U.S. government. It's, it's just so blatantly obvious. And all and they want to make it sound like, like look, it's, I'm not saying it's not possible. Maybe maybe Russia and Putin are desi- have designs to overtake the world. But there's nothing to indicate that other than U.S. intelligence claiming that. And that's while they're literally doing that. So it takes a special kind of stupid to not acknowledge how that doesn't seem like something you should trust. Now, she also points out, Mr. Kirby, you're moving closer to Russia, yet you're blaming the Russians for being close to NATO. That's, that's how this works. To look at this and say the reason that the Russian army is on NATO. Matt Lee always knocking him down. Uh, the, the Russian army is at NATO's doorstep is because NATO has expanded rather than the Russians expanding? That, in other words, NATO has moved closer to Russia rather than Russia moving closer to NATO? Is that not an accurate 
way to look at this? I think that's the way President Putin probably looks at it. It's certainly not but, the way that we <laughs> you don't, Oh, my God. You don't think that NATO has expanded eastward toward Russia? NATO has expanded, okay. and, and the expansion so the has reason, been a good thing for... So the reason that the Russian army is at NATO's doorstep is not the fault of the Russian army, not the... It's not the Russian army that's done it. It's NATO has moved closer to move I'm east. Sure it wasn't. I understand how ridiculous this logic is. That, yes, you've moved closer to them, which then very clearly means you've moved closer, not them moving closer to you. But that's how you frame it. But then when you get pushed, you go, well, that's we're, we're moving closer because, you know, freedom or whatever their argument is. That's what he was you know, basically suggesting, that they want that. It's like, okay, well, those are two different conversations. You can argue that they want what you're doing, but you can also be honest about the fact that we're the ones moving closer. It just, everything about these people, now I'm not going to speak for Kirby personally, but probably so, but involved with the government, are it's transparently dishonest that we all just seem to accept and never speak aloud while we're dealing with it. Even though we all laugh over here. When they, how do we know a politician is lying when their lips are moving? <laughs> oh, but, but no, you're fake news. <laughs> They're always lying to you, as RK would tell you. What his father told him: people and authority lie, just like this. It's not the Russian army that's done it. It's NATO has moved closer to move I'm east. I'm sure it wasn't NATO who was ordering, you know, upwards of 15 battalion tactical groups to within 10 kilometers of the border with Ukraine. And I'm yeah, yeah, in Russian territory, Kirby. So, so it's somehow now a problem for Russia to move people in its own territory, as people in Ukraine that you're pushing as the government continue to attack people that are under their protection i mean it's just so stupid that they even try to pretend this but i guess that's what they have to do what else are they going to say pretty sure it wasn't nato who put little green men inside ukraine to destabilize okay. eastern well, I'm states. pretty sure that you yeah that remember that little green man me and brian richmond talked about that a while ago and it, it was clearly important right but the point at that time was we've now proven they were present with the azov movement and the manipulation there the cia multiple mercenary groups i mean this is the truth and then Russia deploys people, if that's even a true argument, by the way, because that whole story was ridiculous. But I'm not debating that Russia has people present in places like Donbass and Crimea or even further because of what's going on. Now, I'm not saying I think that's necessarily legal or OK. I'm just saying it's the understandable why they would push in while the U.S. government is driving extremists out them. Right. And ethnically cleansing people that are Russian speaking and that have now voted to be part of Russia. But the idea was present because of what they were building there. And that's been transparent the entire time. Do you, does Russia have other agendas? Are they using this to the benefit? I'm sure they are. doesn't change the facts, though. Ukraine is not a member of NATO. So unless that's changed. It's not, it's not okay. changed. But I'm so, pretty sure the movement by Russia is has Russia's NATO, has, If NATO has moved east, the reason that the Russian army is closer or on NATO's doorstep is because NATO moved. Not NATO is not an, an anti-Russia alliance. NATO is a security <laughs> alliance. For 50 years, it was security lines. It's so embarrassing. Everybody everywhere, including Americans, are well aware of what NATO is. It's the world military. I mean, that's what this is. Created after 9-11. And, and we're this close to executing Article 5, if I remember correctly, for Ukraine, even though they're not even technically a member, which means if one's attacked, all's attacked. The only time it's been used is 9-11. And ever since then, we've had the example of what the world military is. And that's what, that's what it is, guys. This is the world government military an anti-Soviet alliance. So Where's do you not Soviet understand it? Now? Do you not understand how, or can you not even see how the Russians would perceive it as a, as a threat? And the fact that it keeps getting closer to their border while their troops, I mean, the, the places where their troops are, you say their troops are, and may, may have been in Ukraine and Georgia, are not NATO members.
I don't have, I'm not going to pretend to know what goes in President Putin's mind or Russia. Oh, well, that's pretty unusual, isn't it? We're not going to pretend we know. Well, it seems like you do all you do today. Military commanders. I mean, I barely got a history degree at the University of South Florida. What I can tell you, what I can tell you is that, is that uh, NATO is a defensive alliance. It remains a defensive alliance. See, this is really, this is why Kirby's good at this. See, what he did was that little self-deprecation. Ah, we got a little chuckle out of it. You know, that's a good sidestep. It really is. Almost makes you feel for it. Like, oh, he's kind of making fun of himself. But what he really did was ignore the reality, right? I mean, it's so embarrassingly obvious what's really taking place here. It, it, these, they're abusing the situation, violating all their agreements, and giving them every single reason to be concerned about what's going on. And then when they move forward, they just go, bad because they're terrorists. It's the same kind of blunt, art, clumsy argument to make about anybody else they don't like. Is it, whether or not you perceive them as a certain thing, how is it not justifiable for them to move closer as you move the entire world military right to their doorstep? East, correct. Hard to be very clear, the mi- World Military Alliance. Not to suggest every one of their present, but who knows? I mean, that's just a fact. It has expanded, absolutely. Right, exactly. But there's no reason reason for anybody to think the expansion is a hostile or threatening move. And we've been saying that throughout the last 15 years, Matt. So so just because you say it makes it true? See, this is desperate. I mean, that's pathetic. Everybody sees through that. You're you're moving closer to Russia. You're blaming the Russians for being close to NATO. No, no, no. no. That's exactly what Hegel's We're blaming the Russians for violating the territorial integrity of Ukraine and destabilizing the security situation. Which is not a NATO member. Which is not a NATO member. I, I, I see other you countries feel threatened. God. Oh, they, thanks, Pisaki. <laughs> See, that is. God. It's just, it's just so, I mean, that, that speaks for itself. And he says, do you really think the U.S. would just stand idly by if Russia was surrounding the country with military bases? Right? I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Right? Like, if this was what was going on, if those were all Russia bases in Canada and Mexico, what do you think the U.S. would do? If they, but what the U.S. Russia's going, wait, we're not here for any re, any military reason. What are you, a conspiracy theorist? We would all laugh at how stupid that is, and we should laugh at how stupid this is, because it's a lie. We should know that. Now, on the point of you know Wagner and that overlap, this is what this is already being used for. Now, Wagner and and Prigozhin and, and where that goes in regard to the presence, I'm not sure. I don't that I don't see that as the same as as just Russia being present. But it is, it is under that umbrella. It is part of the Russian military as a mercenary group or as a contractor. But at the same time, that's exactly why it's different. You know? but, but what it says here, and this is what I see this being used as, maybe the whole reason why Russia just floated that, and maybe it's not even true, like they got played before with the fake revolution in Russia, fears rise as rumors spread, probably from the intelligence apparatus at the U.S. government, that Wagner is preparing for raids into Polish territory. <laughs> okay. I, I don't even know why that would make sense. Other than if it does, that Wagner did that of its own accord, then Russia would probably, you know, the point is, I don't see anything to indicate that other than rumors coming from people that probably want us to be worried that Russia is pushing out into a new territory. And I guarantee you just the thought of the rumor being reported is going to be used to justify action. Watch. That they're going to do, because Russia's going to, has the eyes for Poland, <laughs> where this is going to go. Is there any evidence of that? Not that I can see. And you know what we do have evidence of, though? in real time, is how the Ukraine military continues to bomb into Russia. That's happened more times than I've... I mean, I don't even... I'm not lost count now. Russia... And let's be clear. Russia says so. Which, I guess, that could be a lie. Just like it could be a lie anywhere. But so far, through this process, it's been pretty clear who the dishonest character is. Not to say that Russia wouldn't strategically lie about everything to achieve their goals. 
But Russia says one of its major port cities was attacked. Now, you can find reporting that does show that. So you could argue those are fake. That's always possible. But we, Ukraine has admitted this is the main point. Ukraine's military has admitted more than once to bombing into Moscow, into Russia. Same argument. What do you think the U.S. government would do if this was happening? You know what would happen. And yet, Russia shows somewhat restraint. Now, here is the bigger point about what the world sees in regard to the U.S. government and what they're doing, in particular with Niger and why they're pushing back so aggressively, but also as a bigger point as it pertains to the Great Reset, what they're doing to Dutch farmers, what they're doing to U.S. farmers, what they're doing to the food supply. Here's the big point I want to make with this. What they've been doing to Africa, South America, for as long as you can look back, is using food, using all sorts of things to control the population. And I'm going to let Michael Hudson do an excellent job of explaining this. But think about how this applies that it seems that now we in the West are under the focus of our own government, right? Now we are the ones being, the food is now being removed from our hands and now we're being told we need to rely on something else. As Whitney continues to say, we are now, you know, your body is the new battlefield. That we, in fact, have always been the focus of foreign policy of our government. And now it seems quite literally food is being used as a weapon to control us, as it always really has, but how has it, how, as it has been used aggressively to control of foreign countries. We're going to pay its debts. Uh, it doesn't have to. It can, its debts are in its own currency. We can simply print it. Uh, the African debt is not in its currency. The African debt is in U.S. dollars. Africa has to uh, earn the U.S. dollars, uh, and uh, the only way it can uh, earn the U.S. dollars is not to be assassinated for growing its own food and becoming uh, independent uh, and uh, doing something that the United States uh, does not like. The principle underlying the foundation of the World Bank is that no country should grow its own food. Africa and the third world should only grow export crops. To export, uh, in order to have an oversupply of cocoa and uh, uh, other tropical raw materials, to keep down the price, they must buy their grain from the United States or Europe so that if they do something that we don't like, we can do what America tried to do to China in the 60s. We can sanction them. We can say, we're going to starve you. We're By the way, which we've already seen in Yemen, in Iran... Venezuela. Remember when they were like, look at how bad the country is. They're all starving. <laughs> you know why? Now you do. Going to not export uh, any grain to you. So owing their foreign debt in dollars means that they have to somehow sell something that the United States wants, not what they want. Uh, I and this is why these countries are desperately trying to get out of out from under the thumb of the U.S. dollar and U.S. government and Western control. I think the, the most evil organizations in the world today are the, uh, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. America's never going to... Now, let's not forget as well the clip that he put out in regard to generally Ukraine, but, he, you know, the points were about Syria and elsewhere. But he makes the point about the same thing. They're just This is what they've done. They arm the crazies. They arm the Nazis. They arm them, and they use them against their enemies. That's historically what we see. It's just, it's just time for us as Americans to start pulling away from the illusion of the two-party paradigm and recognizing what we're dealing with. That does, not in, that does not immediately represent what we are. It represents what this broken government is that's taking what we are. 
It's the same thing we keep saying about the Orthodox Jews in Israel and in the United States who are saying what Zionism truly is. They're saying we have been robbed. You have too, guys. It's the same thing. We're being, we've been stolen from. So just because your government is breaking the law doesn't mean you are a bad person or that the country is bad. It means that they are abusing our, you know, the illusion of the agreement that we pretend we have. The, you know, vote is long since this has been taken from us. But here's another point in regard to that exact discussion. Now, this is a really important discussion about, you know, how Israel plays a part in all of these illusions. But to speak about how in regard to you know, RFK in this point. How, how obviously we've shown the overlap. I'm going to get into uh, Derek's article next, the ethnic bioweapon conversation that clearly is being, you know, that research ties right back to Israel in general, South Africa, which they were involved with. And weirdly enough, is the one that's being used to cover up the conversation of ethnic. That makes sense, doesn't it? Racist. Hmm. Okay. Well, here's a really telling clip. Now, first of all, shout out to Indy News Network and the fact that we deal with this all the time, by the way. It seems like a bunch of people took this clip. That Now, let me say one thing. I have an issue with people that will take a clip that's unedited just because it's a, an important part of the story and then slap their name over the top of it. So when people share it, you have their image on it. It's not your content, man. That's somebody else's recording. You can show the recording, but to put your image on it, you didn't. all you did was clip, take the clip. But in this case, what Indie News did was actually take multiple clips, edit them together, put up the, the writing. Like he, They made this video, so it encapsulated what they wanted people to see. And the point is, a lot of other people grabbed that video and re actually removed their icon and put their own icon over the top of it. It's just people suck today, man. There's so many people in this field that just have no respect for other people's integrity or you know crediting people. You know, anyway, that's uh, that aside, because that's what he was saying in this back and forth, kind of that we didn't, you know, just hey, give us credit, you know. But this clip is what's important. And I what it shows you is an unnerving amount of control over the conversation. A question directed at RFK gets answered by this rabbi aggressively, and RFK barely even answers. And it's about somebody you already know, right? It is about Shireen Abdu-Akleh, the U.S. citizen, U.S. journalist that was shot and killed in Israel that Biden and the U.S. government didn't care about and barely even mentioned. And the, re and the report, which I'll go into in a minute, undeniably showed in the beginning and well after that they targeted her, killed her because of what she was doing. Before we get to that, let's listen to this question asked and watch how this response goes and how important this, how really revealing this is. First of all, I would like to uh, thank you for your position on mandates. Uh, as a Jewish woman who cares for justice, uh, I do have a question. It's been about a year since U.S. citizen and journalist Shireen Abu Abelikat was shot by the IDF. It is known through both video and forensic science that it was definitely the IDF and that they targeted her. Are you willing? Are you willing? Even just his response right there. I mean, by the way, that is true. I'll show. I mean, you, I, you make sure you read Robert's work on this, and it's undeniable. The video is like blatantly obvious. And I'll let her finish what she's saying here because she makes a good point. But the way RFK already kind of was like, whoa, he sat up and was like, well, he pointed at him. Like, what kind of response is that? Like, the point is, that's off limits. Very clearly. To commit to calling for Israel to extradite 
the the soldier to the U.S. Which is an interesting ask, by the way. I don't even think that makes sense anywhere, since it's an, it's not a U.S. citizen. But anyway, that aside, I think this is an important conversation. With body cams for a public U.S. trial. She is a U.S. citizen and justice should be served. I agree with also, that. Wait, 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 I, wait, 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 also, wait, also, wait, wait, also, wait, wait, well, let, let me finish. Don't, don't speak over no, me, no, sir. Let's just do let one question finish. at a time. Sir, please let me finish. Also, please, you know, he's he's acting very differently with this one person asking a question than anybody else I saw in this discussion, which shouldn't surprise anybody. Can you also commit to having a conversation one on one with Jewish Voice for Peace? Oh, right. Because they all pretend Jewish Voice for Peace is something as I saw people comment under this video. Jewish Voice for Peace is neither Jewish nor for peace. Well, yeah, they quite literally are Jewish and they advocate for peace between Palestinians and anybody. But of course, that is not what they want, right? They pretend that is all surreptitious to push attacks on Israel, you know, whatever. It's not the truth. You're simply, and you can look for yourself. The point is anybody who says Zionism is is openly, I mean, including Jewish people like her, gets called anti-Semitic, which she will in a moment. How do you make sense of that? It's because anybody that goes against this, and there's more and more people finding courage to speak up about what this government is, not Jewish people, but the Israeli Zionist government. And that's not the same thing as I'll play a clip for next, where the rabbi will tell you himself that we're being used, all of us as Americans, as Israelis, by our governments to achieve their ends. I, I, I take a huge issue with the fact that RFK just... I mean, yes, look, this guy is in one kind of chart leading this discussion, but you didn't get asked a question. RFK got directly asked a question. And this guy, you're going to let him speak for you? That's a pretty unnerving thing to see as a presidential candidate. Wait, wait, wait. Let's be, let's be civil about this. What's your name, please? My name is... What is it? I do agree with that. Why did they ask for her name? All right. You can ask that for yourself and come to your own conclusion. Thank you for coming tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Israel is an is a, is a open democracy with a free press. Incorrect. I mean, literally, even according to human rights organizations, absolutely not true. Like, this is how dumb this gets. Like, immediately says something that we can quite literally... And this is, this is what we need to think about, right? Is that if this is what he's saying, when it's very... Like, my point is they're not stupid. He's very aware of what their politicians are outwardly saying, which contradicts that, right? You don't... The Palestinians don't have any rights in this regard. Even the, Israel, the ones that live in Israel proper are treated wildly differently. And even Netanyahu's on the record himself saying this is the Jew, the state for the Jews alone, right? I've shown you that a hundred times. But think about this. Might as well grab that. I always forget to grab just because if I'm going to say that, people are going to act like that's not true. We just got to make sure we pull this up so people see it and understand this is what he said. Oh, of course that's gone. See, that, that's also hilarious. Let's just do this really quickly. Here's the Haaretz article where it says it right there. You can see it. But of course, that's not there. Of course, they took it down. The way back machine. We can see it. I see a thousand people marking it because it's important. This is the important part of this. Haaretz reported this, right? That the, the, the nation state law passed and there were people on Israeli TV that were saying, no, 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 you guys are racist. That law applies to everybody. That law is for Arabs and Jews alike and they're equal citizens. 
the leader of the country, stood up, corrected them. He said, no, Israel is the nation state of the Jews alone. Think about how ridiculous that is. As the people are trying to, like, the, what even their news reporters are gaslighting for them. And then he steps up and goes, nope, it's just for the Jews. That is nothing if not racist, apartheid. The point is even Human Rights Watch. An apartheid state is what it's being called. Or Human Rights Watch. Or, uh, yeah, uh, oh, this is Human Rights Watch. Or uh, Amnesty International. All the leading human rights groups in the world are very clear. Israel's an apartheid state. So you're not a democracy if you're an apartheid state, like South Africa, which we'll get into overlaps there in a second. So the first thing he says is verifiably untrue. Not everybody can vote, and it's very clear not a democracy. But see, he knows this, and I think that's the important part, is that he is stating these things that I think we can prove he knows aren't true. And what does that show you? That's pretty alarming. And this is who RFK is sitting with. And that is champion for, not as a person, I mean, not just the fact that he says the champion for Israel, the fact that this person is somebody who keeps doing videos with, keeps supporting. That's concerning to me. I didn't ask you, by the way, I asked, I asked, no. I didn't ask you, by the way. Thank you for coming tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Israel is a, is a, is a open democracy with a free press. I didn't ask you, by the way. I asked. Actually, he won't, though. You don't let him do that. So that's a lie. I am, going to, I am going to correct this information. The IDF has now admitted that this renowned Palestinian journalist probably did die from an Israeli bullet. God, what a coward, man. Right? The point is, what do you mean probably did? They absolutely have admitted that they did shoot her. And that's and that so and even in that admission he has to lie, but on top of it all, this is what has gotten dragged out of them over the process of months. Robert reported on all of it. They came out early and said lies. That was a, it was a terrorist, a Palestinian that shot her. That's what they said. Then they tried to cover it up and they said no, I guess it was a ricocheted bullet. That was also a lie. Then it came out oh well maybe we did shoot her, but we were aiming at Palestinians. How does anybody take that seriously? They were clearly lying every time before that. And now he can't even be honest about that. A shootout against terrorists. She was never way, It wasn't terrorists either. These were Palestinians who are in the act of armed rebellion as an occupied state. That's protected by the Geneva Convention and international law. But you call them whatever you want because clearly it's about propaganda. What you said that she was deliberately targeted is an absolute lie. She Proven to be false. She was definitely targeted. She had a helmet on. She had a helmet on and she had armor on. There is no way. She covered dozens of There is no way. He took a direct shot. She covered dozens of military She covered dozens of military raids. Why did they wait to It took a direct shot. Say what? It took what think about the argument. Oh, you think they killed her? Why didn't they do it before? Well, I don't know, man. That's a pretty stupid argument. Why didn't they kill her before this? We're going to speak to their... See, this is all they can do. Because now it's been admitted, even in this backward way of saying probably, they did, though. They shot her with a helmet, vest, military around her, directly above the vest and in between the vest and the helmet where they can shoot her. It's a pretty lucky shot. Now, the point is, again, forensics and evidence, witnesses, all have said the same thing. But this guy blatantly lies because he knows the media and the people that support this will go along with it. 
direct shot together between the helmet and the and the and the armor. What is your source for this? What my source? My yeah. source is 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 forensics and the video. Okay, before so yeah, forensics. Not not her made up in her mind. Forensics is what she's saying, which I agree with because we've seen, as Robert reported, the forensics report that showed that. Right, not from the Israeli side of this, but the investigation of her body. They showed this, as well as the video and the forensics of the video and the angles and the shot as the people that were on the ground. But this, he just runs right over it and says, so fake news then, or whatever he says next. Watch. My source is, is, is forensics and the video. I have no source. And the video. So, so Israel conducted a lengthy investigation about this, which is what they do all no, no, it's not what they do always. In fact, it's rarely what they do. But what they lied about four times before they said that was not an investigation. It's a lie because you can prove that. How do you if you if you can look at the investigation immediately and see the video and see the direct shot? Why would you say it was a Palestinian? Then And then even then, why would you say it was a ricocheted bullet? All of those things are verifiably not true. So the point is, they just kept lying until they had to be honest. And even then, they didn't really be honest. Oh, well, it was an accident. And you, and you know, you watch the show. That's rarely what actually happens. Guy's lying, blatantly. And amazingly, they admitted it probably was an Israeli bullet. I love that statement. <laughs> and amazingly, they actually told the truth. Yeah, I don't think you thought that one through, bud. What you just said is that they lie most of the time. And I agree with that. Amazingly, they actually said that it was the actual bullet. Well, so what you're, amazingly, they told the truth? Yeah, that's what he just said. Very, very revealing. The point is, yes, they usually lie about it, and I agree with him in that case. And Mr. Or, unfortunately, Mr. Kennedy, who died, Mr. Kennedy, it is tragic. Don't you, Israel, don't you there, think you that, are, this is Mr. Kennedy, this is do you not think that this, I am Jewish, do not tell me that. So he just called her anti-Semitic, right? I mean, it, it's that's the best they can do. It's a Jewish person calling for peace. Anti-Semitic. Racist, bigot, white supremacy, who knows these days? And she just wants to have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. answer her question. Mr. Kennedy, please, please don't you believe that the U.S. should be able to adjudicate this? She was a U.S. citizen. She was also a journalist. And again, do you also commit to sitting down with the Jewish Jewish Voice for Peace and having a conversation with them? Or do those Jewish voices not count? Okay, so the only time he gets to finally speak, the rabbi is standing over him. Isn't that, I mean, guys, this is weird. I don't care what you, no matter what you think, the dynamic here is uncomfortable and it screams controlled. I mean, I don't mean that in any any secret way. I don't even mean, I mean, who knows what this connection is? I'm not suggesting that he's literally, I just mean that that's his, his body language is kind of like, don't say, you know, that's what I take from it. It's my opinion. But it, it just feels wrong. Yes, they do. Thank you. Okay, enough. enough. Let me respond. We're going to move on. Go ahead. I, I don't know enough about the case to make Our... a judgment about, you know, extradition. And I don't... You don't know enough about the case? The gigantic case that I guarantee you're aware of, seeing as how you're a champion for Israel? Come on, man. That's a, that is a cop-out, and you could argue it's a political answer for the election. Fair enough. Even though that's still cowardly. And I hate politics. Sad. I, I, I look I, on all of this. I, I always point out that he is light years ahead of just about every other candidate, at least outwardly. 
that doesn't change the fact that this is a morally indefensible stance that he has on Israel. That's a big deal for me. Uh, extradition, and I don't know um, if we even have an extradition treaty for that particular crime um, in, or what the basis of it would be in, uh, with, you know, in I, Israel or Palestine or wherever the, the killing took place. I, I just couldn't man. answer your question. Uh, since you, since, since Israel, you, since Israel is allies, they should be Do you agree? Yes. All right. Thank you. You're Thank you. Wow. I mean, quite frankly, I, I, that's that 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 is an important clip right there. I think that speaks volumes. Whether we're talking about the you know ability to sh- consider somebody else's perspective because that doesn't exist in this conversation or any number of things, that scares me quite frankly. You know, and, and not for the reason that people will try to misrepresent this clip as or the statements I've made as. It scares me because of the kind of influence outward gov- other governments have over our policy. That's it. Whether that's the Israeli government, whether that's the British government, or any other conversation. People that want to make this about racism are the ones that I argue are actually more racist than anybody else. I should say anybody else, but than me at the very least. But this is, it's just really unnerving. Now, what's interesting to me is you can read this, and please do. Now, I was going to go a little bit through it, but we're a little bit longer than I wanted to be. So just make sure you read through these. You have multiple articles, by the way. This was the first one he wrote. Israel conclusively killed Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akleh. Now, this is a U.S. citizen, by the way. I still am blown away that that's not, wasn't even, like, nothing. There was no cry. There was no concern. If this was Iran, it it would be the biggest deal in the century. Right? I mean, it's it's just so blatantly hypocritical. But then he followed up. Israel covered up the murder of Shireen Abu Akleh with U.S. help. Read them for yourselves, guys, to get the receipts, the links, the information, the evidence, the witness reports. It's very clear what happened. And then, even worse, by the way, during the funeral procession, this is what happened. How do you justify that? They weren't armed. You can, you can see it for yourself. These are people marching with a casket. IDF beat them up. Because, you know, it was an accident, right? It's just, it's just so blatant, and people are seeing it, guys. Now, here's a really interesting point. This whole push, the lie about everything that is the founding of Israel and the reality of the you know, Belfort Declaration of British government and, and, and the displacement of Palestinians from Palestine, which all the evidence is there on the table, right? You can have, I mean, I, I haven't played it in a while. I might as well play it really quickly. All the, even those, you still have people that argue Palestine never existed. Here is the, one of the founding members of Israel and one of the first prime ministers telling you that she was a Palestinian. I mean, where, when were Palestinians born? What was, all, what was all this area before the First World War? When Britain got the mandate over Palestine, what was Palestine then? Palestine was then the area between the Mediterranean and the Iraqi border. You say there's no such thing as East a Palestinian. and West Bank, no. East and West Bank was Palestine. I'm a Palestinian. Even more interesting is the reporter even tried to push the narrative, right? Oh, so you're saying it doesn't exist? No, I'm saying the exact opposite. Because that's the truth. Because they did illegally occupy Palestine. And that's why the UN has maintained that ever since. And the reality is they legally have the right to armed rebellion, according to Geneva Conventions, whether or not they're attacked first, because they're illegally occupied. Everything else from that is narrative. Everything. 
That doesn't mean you have to just agree with all of the actions taken. And, and even within that, there can still be crimes committed. But the reality of, people, of saying anybody with a gun is somehow a terrorist when you're occupying that territory and legal international law maintains they have the right to armed rebellion is a complete misrepresentation. It's a lie. But on that very note, Middle East, I posted this. Before Israel was created in 1948, a third of Baghdad's residents were Jewish. I didn't know that. Now, what he says is in the following years, war, propaganda, and foreign conspiracy would push them to leave. But we, what we get framed is kind of the opposite. Listen to him. Listen to this intellectual, or I think he's a, a, a professor, but listen to, him, listen to him tell you his story. Did not have a Jewish problem in Historian. inverted commas. Europe had uh, a Jewish Iraq did not have a Jewish problem in inverted commas. Europe had uh, a Jewish problem. I was born in Baghdad in 1945 to a Jewish family. We were Arab Jews. We spoke Arabic at home. Uh, our culture was Arab culture. Uh, our friends were Arab friends. Uh, in Iraq, the Jews didn't live in ghettos. They lived everywhere, and the Jews were a very positive element in the making of our modern Iraq. That's not what we're being told, right? The, the argument is historically this was a, you know, shameless group. That No, what we're actually framing there is the Zionist agenda, not just Jews in general. That's why, as I'll show you next, Orthodox Jews are telling you as loud as they can right now that they're using Judaism to achieve the Zionist agenda while pretending that they're fighting for Judaism. They contributed at every level, the economic, the financial, the political, the literary, journalism. Uh, the Jews were a very positive uh, force in uh, Iraqi society. What changed was the creation of, state, of the State of Israel in 1948. Yeah. Heard it from, you heard it yourself. Right from from a, from a Jew that lived in in, era, in Iraq as in, with an Arab upbringing, essentially. At what changed was the creation of Israel. Then suddenly, things were treated differently, not the other way around. Right, so we need to realize what this truly shows up, and this is what I keep trying to show everybody. This is one of many accounts, but you'll find them all over the place, both in Israel as well as all over the world. As he says here, it is wrong to say that anti anti Zionism is anti Semitism. Which, by the way, is such a basic, obvious reality. Zionism is not just a Judaism. That's, that's very obvious. And Zionism is an outward, open political ideology. So to say I disagree with that political ideology, to say that's somehow racist, is just, it's literally, it doesn't make sense. But they don't care about that. It's just, they just, they say it conflates because, well, what they're really protecting is the Zionist agenda. But he's telling you that's wrong. They're not the same thing. Israel is a political entity founded by non-Jewish people, says this Orthodox rabbi. The Jewish people are an ancient religious community, not a state, not an ethnicity, right? A, a, a religious community belonging to many nationalities around the world. How does criticizing Israel mean hatred towards the Jews? It's a great question. Listen to this Jewish rabbi. Surprise me because, like I said, this is uh, the general perception that's given 
very successfully uh, done by the Zionists as a ploy uh, to gaining support and to stifle any opposition to the, to the state of Israel is by equating and convoluting and uh, the, the two concepts of Judaism and, and Zionism. Even though it's it's really really uh, contrad both contradictory and it's it's uh, it's just so blatantly wrong. Judaism is to serve God, to be peaceful, to be loving, to do kindness. Zionism is a truly selfish political movement of occupying another people. So wrong, so vicious, uh, so anti what Judaism is all about. And it's totally humiliating to us as practicing Jews to, to see and hear what is being done in our name. It's so important. Now here's something interesting. I was watching a series, and I saw something very interesting. Now, during the series, it, it, there's kind of a, a whole overlap to kind of like this is a Jewish person, and it has like nightmares about being an Auschwitz in, in, in Nazi, Nazi Germany. And there's clearly this overlap to his identity as a Jew. Now, one of the things I noticed is how as he's walking through this college campus, he sees this flyer posted. What it says for the podcast is, March Against the Radical Zionist Agenda. And it shows I'm, what I'm assuming is the Israeli colors with a Nazi symbol in the middle of it. Now, what's interesting to me is, so this is what's being pushed from the, the you know, so engineering, the, the predicted programming, the, the media. Like the, like the, you know, video, not, not the mainstream media, but like, you know, movies and, and television. So that's what you, that was usually what, you know, they want to kind of set in your mind. So what's interesting, though. This is a, there's a real concept right now. Now, I'm in no way can, arguing that Nazism is Zionism. I do, I can go into an entire, actually, I think, I think Matt or one of my other writers might be working on a, a re, the reality of the overlap historically, which is very real and important, but not for this conversation necessarily today. But my point is, there's, there are people arguing that there is an obvious overlap there. And as you hear these Jewish rabbis telling you that they're not in any way associated, they're non-Jewish people, and, and then you understand there is overlap in history there, which is really important, you make you ask those questions. It's fair to ask those questions. You can ask any questions, even if they tell you you're not supposed to. But what I'm trying to point out is that this is what's being put out as anti-Semitic, right? As if this statement or this flyer is supposed to represent white supremacist, you know, which is interesting, though. So what your argument would be that these people are the real Nazis, but yet they're framing the Zionist movement as Nazis. Like, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. But I think it's very interesting that that's being pushed out in media and current shows. This on, uh, I think it was, uh, was it Hulu maybe? I forget what the actual platform was. Interesting, right? But here, for all those that are probably already freaked out this is even on the screen, let's not forget that in this very the current reality, we have, this is from Haaretz, 2018, Rights groups in Israel demand that the Israeli government stop arming neo-Nazis. <laughs> you might think that's crazy until you actually realize this is not a fake. It's a real article. We've already talked about it a thousand times. We're talking about the Azov movement. The group that was openly pointed out as Nazis until Russia invaded and they said fake news. And now they've slowly let that back. <laughs> okay, maybe so. As CNN accidentally catches Nazi salutes on their own channel. The point, though, is that if Israel has openly funded neo-Nazis and Nazis for that matter, what are we really talking about here? How is there not some discussion there? Again, I'm not implying that that's direct, the same thing. But what I find fascinating is that there's clearly something if this is being pushed into our media. And we have the Jewish discussion uh, in regard to the rabbis saying that this is not even what they truly are. I think it's a fascinating thing to discuss.
Of course, we're not allowed to ask these questions because that makes you racist somehow, even though you're pointing out people that are openly racist and supremacist, which is, by the way, what Betselem, another leading human rights group in the world, is pointing out. That they're supremacist, as they're fascist. I mean, it's very clear. They're stating these things, these things themselves. The Zionist Religious Party was called an extremist group by the ADL not too long ago. And yet we're not allowed to point that out. It seems ridiculous. But this is also fascinating. Jimmy Dore was interviewing RFK, and here's what it says. If you kill a Jew anywhere in the world, and you're a Palestinian, the Palestinian Authority will pay you for that. <laughs> well, first of all, there was a hundred things he said on this podcast that were blatantly not true. But what's fascinating to me about that one statement is, first of all, I don't think that's true. But even if we th- even if we can prove that's happening with any Jew ever anywhere killed by a Palestinian, let's not forget that the Palestinian Authority is not what we are told it is, as Robert has continued to expose. At one point, it might have been under Arafat, but the point is now it is be- it's used as a as a kind of a barrier between the Israeli government and the Palestinian people, and the Palestinian people know that. Here he wrote in 2022, Palestinian Authority does Israel's dirty work. One killed in clashes. Another article, oh, actually, I, I, this is the one I forgot, but he's written a whole bunch. Read them for yourselves. All making it clear that the Palestinian Authority is nothing but an illusion. And that is what people in Palestine think. So it's fascinating to see how this works. And all these statements and what that truly means. I mean, you can decide for yourself. Now, look, what's interesting to me is I harp on this. Or I shouldn't say I harp on it, but I point these things out about RFK in regard to Israel because I think it's really important. And I think that the way he's handling this is almost more surreptitious than the ones that are just open. Like, I, it's, it's hard to make my mind up. But what I'll continue to point out is the only reason we're not doing the same kind of point on Biden is because it's very clear. He's that entire career of screaming Zionism and I'm a Zionist and I support Israel. So I just think when this is person's being presented as kind of the counter to that, I think this is important to understand. But on just about everything else, maybe save for, you know, climate change, Second Amendment, Unless that's changed, RFK is light years better than the rest of them. But that's assuming your vote actually meant anything anymore. But, you know, another note. Let's go into the conversation of this rather one short little point about ethnic bioweapons. Here's an outstanding article that Robert, excuse me, that Derek wrote. The truth within RFK Jr. statements about ethnically targeted weapons. Now, that's not the one that people, some people misconstrued this as what people incorrectly stated, he said. What this is about is the, the truth within the statements he made. And he did say ethnically targeted, but he went right after that to say, but we don't know if that's intelligent, in, in, uh, deliberate. So this is, that is a fair statement. And the point is what he does say is correct. And that's what the article finds. So pe- people may read that headline and think we mean something else. But what the real point that's made here, and again, I include the, the, the study that he cites, which is true, and the ridiculous people that just lied about what he said. But what's, what's important is the fact that these weapons, the ethnobomb discussion, stems to Israel, provably, by the way, and South Africa, which you can prove Israel was directly involved with. And then on the record, military reports, uh, media reports of Israel being in charge of that program. So this whole thing stems right back to the very group that seems to be outraged about the statement. It's very interesting to me. So read this for yourself. It's important. But I wanted to make this point that uh, James Corbett and James M. Pilato referenced that I had forgotten about. Under, I mean, even under Wikipedia, just under the generic ethnic bioweapon page, it says it's in its 2000 policy paper, which we've referenced many times, Rebuilding America's Defenses, Think Tank Project for the New American Century, PNAC, described ethnic bioweapons as a politically useful tool. 
that the U.S. could have incentive to develop and utilize. Like, I actually like they included that second part of it because it doesn't say that, but that is the implication. Politically useful means for the U.S. government. It's really amazing that this is so transparent. Now, we're really quick before I even show you the document. On a quick side note, Mid Press News also points out the co-founder of Wikipedia has exposed that CIA and FBI computers were being used to edit Wikipedia articles as early as 2008. <laughs> we all should know this by now, and that's why colleges don't even allow you to cite Wikipedia. But you know who does? Twitter, the U.S. government. They use it extensively. Oh, you yeah, wonder why. It says, we do have evidence that as early as 2008, CIA and FBI computers were used to edit this. Do you think they can't? They can, do you think they stopped doing that? Larry Singer said, no, we know they didn't. Here's the actual document itself. Now, I want to read you this, this a good couple paragraphs here. For, so you remember, this is Rebuilding America's Defenses, year 2000. This was the document where they say, well, you know, we, we need some kind of a, a, a Pearl Harbor-like event to bring the country together. And then, boom, 9-11 happened. Big surprise. And don't forget, Trump said the same thing and said, we need another, another 9-11-like event to bring the country together. And boom, COVID-19 hit. <laughs> Total coincidence, though. I mean, I don't know. Could be. But... It says, although it may take several decades for the process of transformation to unfold in time, the art of warfare on air, land, and sea will be vastly different than it is today. I just mentioned this, by the way. This is not just by them acknowledging the changing of everything. This is them stating what they're driving to action. And the point is, we're watching this happen. Everything they're describing right now is the shifting from away from, you know, as it even says in here, aircraft carriers and jets to more, you know, smaller drones and intelligence and in technology. And that's what's happening right now. Now, that's a really difficult thing to transition away from. You've got an entire military apparatus invested in the sales of weaponry. But again, guys, this is why we're watching this complete transition. The, the destruction of everything to rebuild it and reimagine it. Now, who do you think is going to be involved acutely with all the new things? The same defense contractors. But it says it will be vastly different than today. And combat likely will take place in new dimensions in space, cyberspace, and perhaps the world of microbes. Oh, so they're, they're prescient, right? Now, what's funny is they want you to think what they're saying is all the bad guys around the world. But remember that since 2000, when this was written until now, do you know who's been doing this more than anybody? You guessed it. The very people who wrote this. And that's not a surprise. But they're going to go, oh, bad guy, Ron. They're building something we can't prove as they actively make all these things and say well, they're doing them to protect you from the other guys who I guess you can't even prove are making them, which I don't doubt they are. But it's interesting to see how this is more about manufacturing consent for what they already want to do. It's, it's predictive or, you're, you know, it's, it's wishful thinking or, you know, however you want to look at it, setting this narrative for the reasoning. And then they come back around and go, see, we did it for that. But they did it because they always wanted to. Air warfare may no longer be fought by pilots manning tactical fighter aircraft sweeping the skies of opposing fighters, but a regime dominated by long-range, stealthy, unmanned aircraft. On land, the clash of massive combined arms, armed forces may be replaced by the dashes of small, of much lighter, stealthier, and information-intensive forces, augmented by fleets of robots, <laughs> some small enough to fit in the soldier's pocket. Control of the sea could be largely determined not by fleets of surface combatants and aircraft carriers, but from land and space-based systems, forcing navies to maneuver and fight underwater. Space itself will become a theater of war, which is interesting, seeing as how Trump's the one that initiated the 
Space Defense Force, or Space Force, what it's called, as nations gain access to space capabilities and come to rely on them. Further, the distinction between military and commercial space systems, combatants and non-combatants, will become blurred. Yeah, you know who's championing that? The U.S. government. Remember when Obama said, well, if we bomb them, they're combatants? Yeah, they're the ones making this reality. Not because of bad guys they're fighting. Information systems will become an important focus of attack, particularly for U.S. enemies seeking to short-circuit sophisticated American forces. Is that what's happening, or is it the other way around? And advanced forms of biological warfare that can, quote, target specific genotypes, ethnicities, DNA, may transform biological warfare from the realm of terror, you know, to a politically useful tool. Right, so as soon as we can aim and just kill just who we want to, well, this is perfect. Maybe that's where we already are. It says this, and it realized that in, a, in real time. So if you know that in 2000, these, these are government entities wrote this down, yet today they can act like it's fake? Like everything else. This is merely a glimpse of po the possibilities inherent in the process of transformation, not a precise prediction. Whatever the shape and direction of this revolution in military affairs, the implications for continued American military preeminence will be profound. That's all this is about. The whole thing was about this. It's not about what's right for the American people or democracy or freedom or liberty or saving people's lives outside of our country. It's about military preeminence at all costs, including yours. As argued above, there are many reasons to believe the, that U.S. forces already possess nascent revolutionary capabilities, particularly in the realms of intelligence, command and control and long range precision strikes or ethnic bioweapons, which they'd worked on since the 70s. Yeah, indeed, these capabilities are sufficient to allow the armed services to begin an interim, short to medium terms process of transformation. You mean like the Great Reset? This is just an earlier part of it, guys. Creating new force designs and operational concepts. Designs and concepts different than those contemplated by the current dispensers program. To maximize the capabilities that already exist, but these must be viewed as merely a way station toward more thoroughgoing transformation. Terrifying. I just think it's important to remember that it's not a fake story. They know that's real. And what's interesting is you think about the kind of progression of technology, which is what they're really kind of addressing there. And what's really crazy is that you can read that document much more than that and see that there are things that they're pre pre you know, presenting that have been technologically possible before that was written and well afterward. But only suddenly, only right now are we going, hey, let's transition into new technology, right? That will take us away from fossil fuel, take us away from aircraft carriers and jets and so on and do more... Why? Well, because it benefits the military, you see. But all this time, when it could have benefited the environment, if you want to think that way, or the people themselves, or make your lives better. No, we put it on that shelf, like right out of Indiana Jones at the end of the first movie. They set it on the shelf in a room full of endless things they don't want you to see. Patents and technology and inventions that they don't want you to see yet. If you don't think that's true, guys, it is. You just look up the patents that are actively withheld by the U.S. government. They are everywhere. We have been artificially held in place until the powers that wish they were are ready to change. And until that benefits them, right? Until the change can benefit what they want. But, but let's make sure you listen when they scream that it's all about you and, and saving your life and keeping you happy and democracy and liberty. Well, a great post, which I took that from, or the, the reference that reminded me of that, uh, can't beat the heat, don't eat the meat. 
Hashtag New World Next Week, which, guys, if you don't know, you should absolutely check out. It's a, it's a, you know, it really, quite frankly, became was sort of the impetus for the original design of the daily wrap up. You know, and they just there's it's usually about thirty minutes. They do a break succession of a bunch of different topics. Then you know, you guys, you should be following them if you have if you aren't. But they go into the meat aspect and ticks and a whole bunch of important stuff, always ahead of the curve. But they mentioned one other thing that I thought was really important. We mentioned the idea of the ticks and, and the investigation of that whole topic. And I think that was here. There's, this, there's the article or the show. Robert Cadlett claims vaccine research caused COVID. I mentioned that with Webb to, uh, uh, George Webb today. We, we go over what he thinks that means. We'll get into that tomorrow. Tick bioweapons vaccines to stop eating meat. What's interesting is we briefly mentioned the alpha-gal part, but we didn't really get deep on that. James Corbett and James Evan Pilato pointed out a study from 2021 that overlaps this with the COVID-19 injection in a really interesting way. Gelatin-containing vaccines, which, by the way, are most others than the COVID-19 direction, for varicella, zoster, herpes, measles, mumps, rubella, they activate in patients with alpha-gal syndrome, something that damages their immune system and a lot of other things. So think about this in the context of what's happening with these ticks and, and what, you know, whether it's really even that what's really going on in the bigger conversation. The alpha-gal syndrome, for those who don't remember, the point is the Lone Star tick, the conversation that this tick specifically can bite you and it turns you into somebody who can't eat meat. It's very interesting. And that's why I go over it in the show about them already in the past talking about, you know, using vaccines or some treatment to stop you from eating meat to help the planet. What's interesting is they go and they talk about this again in the episode. That this is something that is weirdly overlapping with the discussion of the, climate change, how this happens. And one of the points they make in the show is, okay, well, if this has been around, which they have long before this point, why have we haven't why haven't we seen this explode before? Right? Nothing's changed except other the introduction of a massive gene technology gene therapy forced on the population. But no, that can't be a conversation we have. The point is, there's no logical reason why this would explode now other than they made this happen or it's a byproduct of something they've done or something else that happened since. There's what it says. Oh, and again, I didn't explain it. The point is that, oh, I did. The, the tick bites you and alpha-gal is a, is a, I don't know if chemical is the right word, an enzyme. It ends up in your body that, that, makes, that you don't already have. That's predominantly in a lot of different meats, not human makes you then not want to eat or not be able to eat meat. You get sick. Obviously, you can see the overlap there with them wanting to stop that for climate change, right? But it says the alpha-gal syndrome, which is what you get after that, describes a new type 1 allergy entity to the carbohydrate epitope. Now, what's interesting, the alpha-gal, is we've already talked about the IgG4, 3, the discussion of how the injection is actually training your body to realize or see COVID and the rest of them as sort of a, a an allergy. As opposed to something, basically it creates this, exactly what we're seeing. This long stretched out problem that never goes away. And then on top of that, they get all the crippling side effects, myocarditis and everything else that's killing all these people. But that might be a, pact, a factor here. But it says apart from, and then since I mentioned it, here's the uh, Igor Chudov uh, post about that. Causing immune tolerance explains excess mortality and chronic COVID that never goes away. But it says, apart from meat products, alpha-gal can also be found in products containing gelatin or of bovine or, por- or of uh, porcine origin. Okay, well, then why haven't people gotten this syndrome from all the injections that have that in it? No answer for that. Recent case reports pointed to severe anaphylaxis in patients suffering from AGS after vaccination with vaccines containing 
hydrolyzed gelatin. So just all the rest, I mean, just take the main, the huge ones, MMR, herpes zoster, but you know, pretty much I'll show you, I guess since I'm mentioning it, or maybe not, <laughs> where was it? What? Did I close it on accident? Maybe I did. Dang it. Well, I had a post open for that. That was about, yeah, well, I'll wait a second in case I miss it. But there was, I, the whole point was a discussion about, yeah, I must have actually closed that. That's crazy. There was, a, I think it was Haareth that was what it was open from. But the point was, it there's a whole discussion from a Jewish perspective about how pork products, as we, it, it, a lot of specifically Orthodox Jews can't eat pork because it's not you know, aligned with the religion for what, you know, lots of reasonings. But the point is that that's a problem for them historically, long before now, because these other injections, most of all, that my point was simply to show you that most of them still use them. Even after COVID-19, they're still all using them in a lot of ways because it, it's, it's whatever. The reason they're, they're still using them is the point. And that's the article was talking about from a Jewish perspective, how it's frustrating because there's still so many out there that they can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the point is this has been used ubiquitously. So why isn't it having the same effect? I don't know. Maybe that's not what's actually happening here. But it's saying that they have these basophil activation tests to be able to find out if you're suffering from this problem. Now, it says gelatin containing meat, uh, all these injections, MMR, uh, all the ones we listed, they have a gelatin alpha-gal overlap. Then it says, and they tested these on people. And then it says they had an MMR live vaccine that didn't contain that in two patients they tested. Now, shocking, the ones that didn't have that in it did not have any activation. So it's pretty clear that with this in there, there is, if you have alpha-gal syndrome, so let's say you got bit by a tick or whatever else is causing this, and then you take this injection, well, it causes a pretty serious problem. So what's going to happen now when these people that all, apparently they're telling you is overwhelmed with this tick problem that's exploding all over the country? Well, what happens now when they go get the other shots that you're going to still, I guarantee, tell them they need? Well, as it says, gelatin-containing vaccines should be administered with caution or avoided in patients with AGS because of their high potential to activate basophils, indicating a risk for anaphylaxis, which could be deadly. But also BAT, which is the basophil activation test, is a useful additional tool when it comes to screening for potentially highest alpha-gal-containing drugs. Very interesting. Twenty-one. Well, here's basophil is. They're types of white blood cells. Basophils are the least common type of white blood cells is however they are the largest type they're responsible for inflammatory reactions during immune responses look at that isn't that interesting the same thing that we're seeing overreact in a lot of people so maybe this is already an issue that we're being overlapped and blamed on ticks or let's not forget the plum island discussion and very clearly without question ticks have been used as bioweapons in the past by this government that's not even up for debate They've, in fact, even offhandedly admitted to that in the past. But the point is that if this is what's happening, is it not possible that this is by design? Interesting to think about. But it says, as well as in the formulation of acute and chronic allergic diseases. So there's the overlap, the allergy discussion. And it says including anaphylaxis, asthma, hay fever. They also produce compounds that coordinate immune responses, including histamine, serotonin, that induce inflammation. And... Guess what? Prevents blood clotting. So here's another way to think about this, just for fun theorizing, because we know how much they don't like that. What if this was something put out in order to stop a problem that was getting out of control? Right? Let's let's deploy all these ticks that have this problem that we've designed. 
in order to stop all these people that did what we told them to do from dying from blood clots. And, you know, at the same time, stop from eating meat because climate change. You know, why not? <laughs> Just a thought. I think it's pretty interesting how these overlaps are almost impossibly always the case. Everything we look at under this umbrella seems to align in the same way. Your immune system, your, you know, your blood clots, blood, heart attacks, heart-related, everything. It's just crazy to me. Down here it says, there's one other point. It says, uh, basophils appear in many specific kinds of inflammatory reactions, particularly those that cause allergic symptoms. And they contain anticoagulant uh, uh, um, heparin, which prevents blood from clotting too quickly. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So read this again to catch up on this. I think it's important This is how this plays into that. And then here it is under medical news today. Everything you need to know about basophils. It just simply says basophils are white blood cells. They play a role in a healthy immune system. Levels that are higher or lower, which is what this is ultimately causing, than usual may be a sign of inflammation. Hyperthyroidism, which we just talked about, or another health condition. So now you've got this aspect that is causing this to be developed in people that have alpha-gal syndrome. I don't know. There's interesting overlap, isn't it? And you can check this out if you want to watch. And by the way, uh, shout out to James Corbett because that clip that I was trying to find, it, it was like just, like, let me see if I can actually grab it again since I'm mentioning it. It is a really important clip. Yeah, I got it saved. Here it is. This clip, I was trying to find this and I, for the life of me, I couldn't find it. And I'm now remembering, because James pointed this out in his episode, that where I did see it originally was James Corbett's show a long time ago. Just a shout out to him, because that's, that's the point. Is he is a foundational part of the independent media that few people seem to talk about, which drives me crazy. This outstanding clip is about is, is the, the basis for the vaccine to stop meat point. Two examples. So one is that uh, people eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption of meat, then they would, uh, it would actually really help the planet. Uh, but people are not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people, they may be willing to, but they sort of, they have a weakness of will. They say, wow, this, this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it. I, I'm one of those, by the way. So, you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about, so there, we have these intolerance to, uh, so I, for example, I have milk intolerance. Um, uh, and there, some people are intolerant to crayfish. So possibly we can use hu human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat, to certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins. And they're actually analogs of this in life. There's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat. Uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism. So that's something that we can do through human engineering. We can kind of uh, ad possibly address really big world problems through human engineering. Another Pretty terrifying. Now, you know, you can't argue that he's for saying we should do it for sure, but it's floated as the idea that this is something we might want to do. And then we've pointed out many times the argument that they've written many articles about how if they're going to do something like that, and they argue amongst themselves that it's in the best interest of society, and they think you understand, well, there's been multiple studies that have said we should do that covertly because they won't understand. I've shown it to you a million times. And the problem, though, with all of this and the idea of tick bioweapons and, and surreptitious activities that might be used to stop eating meat or a number of other things that they've openly talked about is that Dr. Fauci is right. And by the way, not new, despite the fact that it's being framed as like a brand new conversation. 
gets caught in his biggest lie yet, says the New York Post. July 31st. And what is it about? About gain-of-function research, otherwise known as bioweapon research. Senator Rand Paul has announced a criminal referral. Now, that's the real story. Senator Rand Paul has announced a criminal referral. This is posted on July 31st. I think I said that. Of Dr. Fauci to the Department of Justice over his apparent lying during congressional testimony. It's weird that we even say apparent. Like, before, even before the email that got put out. Guys, I mean, it's amazing that we, like, just because, like, let's just say Dr. Fauci was holding a gun in his hand. And they were like, in Congress, they go, Fauci, do you have a gun in your hand? He goes, no. Well, the media would be like, well, allegedly, Dr. Fauci's alleged gun was not proved today. Like, that's how this gets framed. Like, there's, nobody should be debating that this is gain of function. Not only do we know that they've said this in the past, like on video, or that they've written about this, or that they've then taught. I mean, it's so blatantly, stupidly obvious. And by the way, by the definition of what they did, it's very transparent. They gained a function with what they were working on. So therefore, it's gain of function. And they change it to EPPP in real time and act like we don't even know what we're talking about. Like, it's so blatantly obvious. So the way it gets engaged with is so infuriating. Now, I'm all for objectivity, even irritatingly so, but not when it's like this, right? This is the joke I made the other day. The corporate media is, is irritatingly objective in all the wrong places. And anywhere where it's justified, they're acting like they're super. I mean, it's just, it's the exact opposite. This is undebatable, not debatable. Fauci ins- insisted repeatedly that the NIH had never funded any gain of function. Yeah, which you could quite literally prove in real time, which again, Rand Paul even said. But it says Paul contended at the time, arguing with Fauci, that the research done on viruses at the at the world at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and elsewhere, by the way, Fort Detrick, uh, Dugway, I mean, all lots of places, which got U.S. funding, matched the NIH's own description of gain of function, which it did, and accused Fauci of playing word games, which he was. Again, it's just childish to pretend just because he says otherwise, right? It's like he's Palestine. Nope, you're perfectly fine, guys. Nothing is wrong. These are not the droids you're looking for. It's exactly like, okay, well, what are we supposed to make of that? Well, you're lying. And the only people telling us otherwise are the ridiculous media. We all seem to know. So stop paying attention to these dumb media personalities. Now Fauci is damned by his own words. Well, he is, but we already knew that. But it's important to think about all of this. If you're lying about the most basic reality of being a function... Well, they're probably lying about tick-based bioweapons as well, or any number of other things that we can prove they're already involved in. Oh, I forgot. I just was downloading that. Well, let's go to the Pfizer discussion to kind of wrap this up today. Pfizer and the flu. And I think this is really important because it speaks to the larger agenda of all of this, like the bioweapon conversation, the surreptitious, even with foreign policy, guys. All of this overlaps more than I've ever seen this in me doing this over a decade. So we just talked about this. Pfizer hearings expose blatant pharma dishonesty, in particular Pfizer. But there was a lot of other things in there that I think were important in this show. So make sure you watch this. Here are the ones we played just the other day. I'm not going to play them again, but you can watch them. This one's important because it talks about the fact that he proves on the record that they don't know what causes myocarditis, which means by definition, they cannot argue it's safe if they don't even know what's causing it. It's, it's wild. You have to watch these if you haven't watched them. They'll be included in the show as well, but in this one, you'll have my commentary of it and so on. Brooke Jackson posted this one where they're asking, was this a Department of Defense? Uh, when, exactly. I don't want to misframe it. Right. So the first one was asking if, you know, is there in your contracts something that says if you commit fraud in the trials, which Brooke Jackson in real time has already proved, that that would mean that you are 
you know, in violation of your contract and you could lose your indemnity. Of course, they don't want to answer that, which it's it, which invert inadvertently proves that it is because if you can't answer it because it's part of, you know, you're not allowed to speak on the contract that proves that it's part of the contract because otherwise you can say, well, no, it's not because you wouldn't be legally bound to not say anything. See how that works. But on top of that, he asked whether the DOD part or the is it true that Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines were de- developed initially as countermeasures for the American Department of Yeah, so is it true that they were initially developed as countermeasures for the DOD? Yes. Not up for debate. Somebody posted this down here, which you can see yourself, by the way, which is the USSpending.gov, which in, uh, where's the date on it again? 2020. Spent whatever the amount was. I didn't forget. But the 113 million to start and upwards of 111 billion for Pfizer. Right, I mean, this shouldn't be shocking to anybody. This is this is Operation Warp Speed, as Corbett and Evan Pilato make a joke about, which I think is a great thing to actually say from now forward. It, the MAGA jabs, right? Because it's what they are. I mean, Trump with them, MAGA, and a lot of the people on his side still weirdly argue that there's something that's good. On the other side, they still argue that they're all good and pretend that it's not Trump's vaccine. So either way you spin it, it calls out the hypocrisy of the two-party paradigm. So the MAGA jabs, or as Corbett put, the Operation Warp Speed jabs or injections are obviously that. Now, Sasha Latapova has made it clear this is a military countermeasure, as their own documents point out, which then then very clearly means they circumvent the legalities of the FDA and everything else, which then makes sense of Brooks' entire case. It's pretty easy to see. Now, make sure you watch all these. This one was really important. It's 10 minutes long, but it's actually really crazy to listen to the way that they just won't answer the questions. I mean, it's really incredible. I think, let me just get the crux of his question. 20. Pfizer did not know whether the vaccine would stop. Oh, right, right. He's comparing Borla's statements about, you know, we were striving for transmission. And, I mean, it takes 10 minutes. They refuse to answer the question. And they, they basically use that to come to the conclusion that that means that you guys feel that this isn't working. Which, by the way, we all know that. They're just trying to avoid legal accountability. That's what this is. Now, on that note, let's play a couple of other ones. This one was crazy, by the way. I, I, even I was kind of like, well, I can't believe this was like, I mean, they didn't really answer it, but this is the truth. Now, Kevin McKernan makes a great, oh, I'm going to play it first, then I'll, that'll make more sense afterward. Here is what Pelham p- posted, another clip from the same hearing in regard to a special batch that was only given to Pfizer employees that wasn't tested by the same government agencies. Now, why in the world would that even make sense? Uh, your vaccine mandate was using your own batch of vaccine, especially imported for Pfizer, which was not tested by the TGA. Is that correct? Oh, he does uh, it. Senator, so Pfizer undertook to import um, a, a batch of vaccine specifically for the employee vaccination program. Wow. Red. I actually forgot that he answered that. So he's very clearly. I'll play it again. Uh, Senator, so... Pfizer undertook to import um, a batch of vaccine specifically for the employee vaccination program. I mean, how else do you take that? So they make vaccines that they tell you are safe and effective that everyone should take and they push them, both them, the government, the media, pushed, forced, by definition, coerced. Then Pfizer makes a special batch that nobody else gets to test or see that they only give to their employees. That is wild. I can't believe anybody still argues this is not the most blatantly corrupt thing I've ever seen in my life or that they've ever, we've ever seen in our lives. That is absolutely shocking that they even admit that. I mean, at the very least, why wouldn't it be tested by the same entities? Well, because they are, it's only for them. 
pretty wild. And as Kevin points out, there the in the lots, you know, the different lots, the lots are all equivalent. Except some lots are more equivalent than others. That's a reference to the uh, the animal farm, which I just want to make people. I wanted people to see that I wasn't, you know, as I said down here. That's weird. Oh, there it is. I just said the credit goes to Kevin. I just wanted those that have not read the book and everyone should to know what he was referring to because it's important, right? And here's the quote from Animal Farm: "All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others." <laughs> and of course, it's actually more of a commentary on like on uh, social communism. But it's really just about government, in my opinion, right? The government collecting power at the top. I just, that is really mind-blowing. I don't know how they defend that. Here's another great clip. Rise Above Melbourne, or Rise Melbourne, points out that they're admitting that they very clearly manipulated the amount of, and right out of the gate, I want to be clear about this, that what, he, what Rennick is actually saying, that they seem to kind of step over, is doctors are writing down, which many of them are in these reports, vaccine caused this to happen. Now, some of those that get on Bayer's or other reports around the world don't necessarily say that. They just go, this happened and then this happened, right? But what we're talking about in this case are, import, are doctors who wrote, I think this was the vaccine that caused this. And then they, based on some criteria they don't seem to want to talk about, turned a thousand reports of this happening to 14. And uh, I think you were suggesting that there was a uh, there was a uh, a wiping or a removal of deaths that have been reported. I, I think it's important to note, as I was saying previously, that there are a number of reasons why we encourage adverse event reporting, uh, but why the numbers that come through to our database of adverse event notification are not uh, and should not be taken on face value as as an indication. That there Excuse are. me. Sorry. Well, but, but before Rennick gets into that, that's false. He knows that's false. You know how I know that? Because all the way up until COVID-19, every single one of these reporting systems, the world around, were very clear that this was not about proving any of this. It is a signal system. They were not supposed to take as these are exact reports. That's ne- that's the case, right? That's, that's the reality. Because anybody, they could be wrong. They could be lying. Doctors even, right? But that's for us. From the government perspective, as even Dr. Rain in the UK made on said on the record in 2006 to The Guardian, I've shown it many times, that this system is not about proving anything. It's about a signal. And if the signal is high enough, we should stop the drug. Like, apparently, that just doesn't matter now with COVID land. And now this guy who knows better is lying. So that should flavor everything else he's doing. If he's knowingly lying or too stupid to know, that's very clearly, according to their own documentation, not what these systems are for. Doctors... Are charged with the responsibility of, of writing out a death certificate, and signing it. They know the cause. There were there were close to a thousand of them, but they've been wiped by the TGA, and in a review with without objective criteria, down to fourteen. How can uh, you justify that? Well, I, I I I don't think that it's accurate for you to characterise. Well, sorry, I'm, doctors I, I, I reported can't. deaths. I appreciate the determination of the cause of death is a coronial activity. I don't know, Dr. Pengilly, if you'd like to. Uh, Reflect on. Well, I won't reflect on the. So, so how many of these have gone to the coroner? So just following following this, um, and so I have to go to Senator. Um, how many have gone to the coroner? Right. Uh, right. Uh, sorry, Anthony. How many have you proved uh, this? Uh, or pretend to answer? Yeah. yeah, if you could answer that. So look, um, I won't answer the question regarding the thousand the thousand reports, but I think the issue Professor Lawler is making. What do you mean you won't answer the question? 
what, what world does this exist in? We won't answer the one you, but we'll, let me pick which one I'd like to answer to. <laughs> ...is that because, just because we get a report, and obviously if a report of somebody who's died, they have died, what we're actually trying to do is then determine whether that is actually related to the vaccine or to any product. Yeah, but you see my point, though? That is not how the system works. Now, they should be doing that, that of, of course, to get exact information. Like they pretended they were doing and then clumsily admitted wasn't even possible, as I was saying the whole time in the United States, that they don't even have the ability to do this around the world with all the reports they've gotten. Remember how long I was saying that? And they kept going, fake news. Well, they lied. And they, that was actually admitted to. The point is they should be doing the investigations, but regardless of what they find afterward, the immediate choice should be to pull this with what they have reporting. Then find out. You don't keep giving the injections until you find out. That is the opposite of safety. That's haphazard. They know that. Actually trying to do is then determine whether that is actually related to the vaccine or to any product. And that is a determination which has to be made by further examination of the circumstances, temporality, whether there are other causes. And that means that a large number of the reports eventually are found not to be associated. Oh, yeah. By default, you see what he said? Not sometimes, not can be, but are found to be every time, always, because that's what happens. Always in history, that was after the drug was pulled, right? Like they joke about, you know, you get you have a faulty muffler and they pull 100,000 cars, right? You don't wait until you figure it out and then say, oh, well, 45 cars blew up, but we figured out the problem. <laughs> no, they pulled them first and then they figured it out. Imagine why that doesn't make sense with a drug you put inside your children's body, right? Madness. And there are a whole range of criteria which you can use for those. Um, I won't go into them, but we can we can provide more information on. Could you on put those. it on notice? I want to know the uh, the objective criteria you use for. I mean, think about what he just said too. I'm not going to go into them. I'd be like, hold on, man. You are going into them right now. You're on your oath. Tell me what the criteria is to decide whether or not these are valid. Like, okay, so since I pause it again, Sharon in the chat makes a good point, and I, I don't want people to misconstrue this as me arguing that I trust the Australian government, right? I mean, the bottom line is, as she says, that you know, if these people were serious about holding Pfizer accountable, I think there would be going about this a little bit a different way. Like, even right there. Like, come on, push into that. But at the same time, Rennick has been doing a good work and calling this stuff out. But just on the note, the point is simply that it's happening. The way they're responding says everything to me. That's what I think is important. For changing a doctor's report, you, you, on, could you put notice. it on notice? I want to know the, uh, the objective criteria you use for, for changing a doctor's report who knows the patient. A we're doctor's not report. changing a doctor's report. Doctor reported death and you're not attributed to, we're not, attributed to well, a vaccine. Well, you're Senator, with respect, we're not saying the patient didn't die. See, he just, he, I mean, maybe he didn't hear what he said. It was kind of close. He's, it's talking about vaccine-associated death reported by the doctor. Not that a doctor said he died, and then you know, but a vaccine was involved. Like, that's not what they're saying. He's saying they reported a vaccine death, and then they change it to something else, which is what we're talking about. We're I didn't saying, say that. I didn't say that. You're well, misleading. Well, I'm, I'm accurately reflecting that we were changing the doctor's report. We're, we're happy to take that on. on How, yeah. However, I want the objective criteria by which you change a doctor's reported death due to a vaccine. Right. back. Fact and not associated with the we're, we're, we're very happy to provide the senator right. with. And now they won't answer. Now that they're clear about his question, oh, well, we'll go back to you. Uh, with information on the process that is followed Thank you. Uh, following the report of the death uh, following vaccination. Thanks, Professor. Yeah, but see, he answered incorrectly, didn't he? He didn't say a vaccine caused by, or the doctor wrote vaccine caused. He just simply said that something that happened after the vaccine. This is a game, a massive game. And what frustrates me is, I mean, we've been watching this, a lot of them. 
Every single thing that's important, I mean, literally every important part of this conversation is on on notice. We'll get back to you on notice. Somebody keep track of this. You let me know if any one of these things ever comes back up. Ever. On notice. It's so pathetic how they play this. Oh, well, on notice. We'll get back to you. And every time they go, we'll put it on notice. Oh, yes, absolutely. Sure. Yes, thank you. Please, let's move on from these questions that are not allowed to be answered. It's infuriating. Here's another video. I'll read my quote afterward. Pauline Hansen posts this. This is her speaking. After through, you actually made a comment that no one was forced to have the vaccination. Who made the comment? Was it Dr. Thuin? I believe I made that comment. You made that comment? Right. Mm -hmm. You were in Australia during COVID-19. You must have been fully aware that people, nurses, doctors, people to have their jobs, to keep their jobs, were forced to have the vaccination. Now, do you retract your statement that they were not forced? Uh, Senator, no. I, I believe firmly that nobody was forced to have a vaccine. Yeah, see, this is a legal answer because I guarantee you somewhere written down over there is the definition of what they think is called forced. That's all it is. But if we're being honest, obviously forced does not mean physically holding you down and putting it in your arm, right? Everybody knows that. Even from a, even from a legal definition, in a general sense, in a court of law, there's all sorts of ways that apply to being forced that don't imply actually putting hands on somebody. But that's all that's going to happen. They're going to argue all the way to the end, and it's going to come down to them revealing that. Well, here's what we think is forced, and that's what it's going to. That's they're not going to say that though. Right now, you know as well as I that they coerced, they pressured, they threatened, they fired, they took money away, they took children away to force people in this position. Now, if you look at the word coerce, a synonym is force. <laughs> I mean, it's just pathetic how obviously they know that this is what happened, and they just pretend they're playing semantics. Because this is what guilty people do. Mandates or vaccine requirements are determined by governments and health authorities. I believe everybody was offered an opportunity to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. I don't. You see, this is like saying, okay, here it is. Come get it if you want it. That is offering a vaccine. When you say you have to have this or you're going to lose your job, which then means you're going to lose your house and your family and everything else you have, or possibly, that is coercion. Which is illegal, by the way believe that anybody was forced to take a vaccine. A lot of Australians will disagree with you on that one. Or because he's blatantly wrong. And here's what I said about that, which is the point. And you know, we've been covering this from day one. Obviously, threatening people with the loss of their job, homes, livelihoods, or the loss of their children, loss of their freedom to travel, etc., is coercive and therefore is, in fact, forcing people to abide. But make no mistake, guys, in many examples, more than I can count, People were, in fact, physically forced, held down and forced. I showed you in Africa. I showed you in Canada. I showed you in the UK. I showed you multiple examples of people in nursing homes, children that were held and forced, some of which died. But they don't care about that. And Pfizer's going to lie to you through the teeth and say, nope, nope, you're wrong. Because they're liars, criminals, and desperate. Like, my personal opinion, those two people there, despite the fact that they're probably just lackeys put in front of everybody, the way that they're responding, they must know that they're covering for something. So they're as guilty as anybody in my mind. Senator Alex Ennick points this out. 
During last night's Senate hearing into our COVID vaccine discrimination bill, representatives from Moderna couldn't provide the numbers of serious adverse reactions from their COVID injection. Let that sink in. With all this going on, they weren't even able to provide a number. Now, that only means they were too embarrassed to acknowledge that the numbers are ridiculous or that they actually don't know. Either way, it's pretty terrifying. I referred earlier to a and uh, tabled a uh, report um, from a journal, uh, El Silvier, said that wrongly, recent report from the end of last year, which uh, stands for the proposition and found that uh, the rates of serious adverse reactions are occurring at a rate of one in 800 people vaccinated. That's a peer-reviewed study that I've shown you myself. Um, now, according to your own clinical trial data, um, do you accept uh, that that is the rate? And if not, uh, how does your overall rate of serious adverse events compare with um, routine traditional vaccine products such as uh, flu vaccines and the like? So um, I'm not aware of the report to which you're referring. See, this is always how they play this game. This is the same thing that RFK kind of did with her. He's like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not familiar. Yeah, you are familiar, though. You know that they are. This is one of the most important conversations in the world that has directly to do with your injection. And it, by the way, even if you weren't familiar with it, the question was damn clear. What's your, what is their, okay, if you don't know, then what is your reporting number then? Which is where this goes. It's just, this is a, a sidestep. It's clumsy. It's blatant. This is, this is the report of a, of a, of a prominent um, a medical journal. You're not aware of that? Um, I'm not aware of that. Do you, do you think, do you, think you should be aware of that? Um, I, I think if you're able to provide that report, then um, well, we, we could provide... I mean, this is part of the frustration of this process is if you were here, we could provide you with that. But, I mean, I, this, is, this has been widely reported. You are a manufacturer of vaccines. I find it difficult to think that you wouldn't be aware of this report. So one thing, I can say, one thing I can say is that as a company, we have a, a, a as part of our pharmacovigilance activities, we do do routine uh, uh, screens of the literature to, to uh, look particularly for publications that include adverse events. We do review those publications and those adverse events, and we do include them into our global pharmacovigilance database. But I guess not this one, though. I mean, what a blatant lie. So did you just miss this one, the most important, the one that's gone around the world and back? Hardly. So that manuscript would have been assessed by our pharmacovigilance department and <laughs> the information from it would have been taken into account and evaluated. Okay, so then why aren't we talking to them? Because we're talking to stooges put in front of us because the real people involved aren't ever going to sit in front of something like this. So what is Moderna's uh, overall rate of serious adverse events and how does that compare with routine vaccinations was the question. Um, so um, I, I, I don't have the actual rates of adverse oh events. Um, to you don't, you don't have the rates of adverse events in I front can, of you. If you just, I can refer to the, uh, obviously I can refer to the product information. What I can uh, tell you uh, is that the uh, rate of serious adverse events in our, in our uh, very large randomised controlled trials <laughs> was actually um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a similar range to what was observed in the placebo you, you, Oh, you mean the placebo that wasn't saline? Yeah, that too. Yeah, these guys are criminals, man. And that's my point. They know this. The ones sitting there aren't stupid. They know what's going on because they're the ones being forced to relay the flimsy, half-hearted arguments. Let's see, you're going to point back to the random-controlled trial, by the way, that's already been reevaluated and shown that you lied about it and showed that Moderna specifically had a 6% increased risk of serious adverse events compared to nothing, and then you cite it anyway? And then you go on to site, and they're, not, they're aware of that massive study that's peer-reviewed as well that says exactly that. 
and then say that was oh, hold on, I just blanked it out. No, you know, uh, oh, that was comparable to the placebo when we know that they actively use things that aren't. I mean, look, there's examples of saline used in processes throughout this whole thing, but multiple times throughout this, including these larger ones, they do in fact use other injections as RFK and plenty of others have made abundantly clear. And I'll actually have a point about that in a second. They know this. And this is how they play the game. They say, well, it's comparable. Well, okay, well, it's like the dachshund game, right? Well, it's about the same as the background. Well, is that dangerous? Just because it's the same as the background, just because you compare, like, okay, what was it? Was it 100,000 side, side effects? Well, it was comparable to the placebo. Well, placebos don't cause extremely high strokes and heart attacks, which is what you'll actually find when you dig into the information. Just because it's comparable doesn't mean that something's wrong. The system is broken. That's what we're all seeing in real time. Very large randomized control trials was actually um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a similar range to what was observed in the placebo. But you, don't, you can't tell me the rates of serious adverse events. You realize you've come to a Senate hearing today for the purposes of exactly that question. Right. And you can't tell me the rates of serious adverse reactions to your product, which I find extraordinary. Well, what I can what I can tell you is that uh, on the TGO website, there are, it, it reports there are 1.2 reports um, per. That's the TGA. I'm not doses. asking about the TGA. I'm asking about Moderna. You, you you must have that information. You are a multinational company. You're before a Senate inquiry, and you cannot tell me the rates of serious adverse. I mean, it's quite extraordinary what you're telling me. Right. It's it's because they know they're unaccountable. At least they think they are. Hopefully, that's changing. But that's just, it's simple. They were directed, don't, you can't talk about that. So they just circle around it, just like everybody tries to do in politics. Now, what I also think is that the fact that he's even asking it like this in, in this question, I find it hard to believe that this is, that's a pretty damning thing to point out, right? So, it, you know, it's always good to point out that, you know, isn't, we don't, not every single person in every position of power is all out to get you and against your, you know, we should always ask that. It's always possible, likely even, but I find it hard to believe that all these people are, you know, that's a pretty big question to ask that makes them look really bad. Nobody can tell me that. That is so crazy. So, so Sorry, I, want to cut you off. Sorry. Uh, I can I can provide that information um, uh, on notice. On notice, um, great. I, I just, what, I, what, I, what I can tell you okay, is... Okay, so if you can provide it on notice, then why don't you have it now? Because they intentionally did this. A hearing that is only about, primarily about that one thing, and they didn't even come prepared. That's by design, guys. We have observed, in our clinical trials, we observed no safety concerns. There were no imbalances of serious Liars. adverse events, Liars. adverse events of special interests, Liars. Or, or, or deaths Liars. between the, uh, between the uh, vaccine group and the placebo group. Uh, Chair, uh, I think we're wasting our time here. Thank you. you can... Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, that, at least someone's being honest about that. Unbelievable. And before we get to this point, I wanted to bring that up. Um, oh, actually, hold on a second. I keep doing that. I keep forgetting. Oh, we observe no safety concerns. Oh, right, right, right. Let's for, so quickly forget that. I just want to grab this really quickly to show you, or just include it. Thank you again. James Sincello. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave this open this time so you guys can remember where it's a great article. But here, here is he's the the one that I originally saw this from. This is peer reviewed 2022. Secondary analysis of the serious adverse offense reported in the placebo controlled phase three trials. Now, ignoring for the minute the placebo game, right? It's just this clear. This hasn't been retracted. 
it's as far as I can tell, the most current level of this information, massive study, reevaluates the entire, both Moderna and Pfizer. And as you've seen many times, Pfizer was by far the worst. The Pfizer trial exhibited 36% higher risk of serious adverse events. Now realize that's not 36% more. It's just 36% higher risk of death, hospitalization, or serious permanent disability. 36%. That's first not even taking it. Or even better or worse, that's compared to a non-placebo like, a, like another shot. And it's still 36% higher. That's crazy. But the Moderna trial exhibited a 6% higher serious adverse event. That's the trial he's pointing to. He's lying. In real time. No, I just, it's so mind-blowing that this is even how we are. How it's crazy. But it shouldn't be when we really understand how long this has been going on. Kevin, the We the People, points this out. Pfizer gave an experimental drug to 200 Nigerian children without telling their parents that an approved cure already existed or that it was a medical experiment. 11 of 200 children died. Others had organ failure, brain damage, and paralysis. Those are the images on the show, on the image today. What kind of animals do this to other human beings? Well, in this case, Pfizer. Last hurdle of a decade-long compensation claim battle. 17-year-old Shamsu undergoes a DNA test to prove he's a victim of a failed drug trial by the pharmaceutical company Pfizer. And then they get his DNA too. They get you going both ways. That happened 15 years ago in Kano State, Nigeria. 11 children were killed. You know what's even crazier? Sorry to stop it so quickly, but think about that. So these people are injured because of what they did. There's no accountability for that. And then they come back and they follow up. That's what an experiment looks like. They get his DNA, they test him, hey, and they get what they wanted out of it. No criminal activity. Now, I was, I didn't want to, I was going to wait to the end of them. They did have to pay. Well, I'll, I'll show that in a second. But money doesn't matter to people like this, not really. In fact, just like we see with Wells Fargo or any number of other groups, it's the cost of doing business. They set aside a billion dollars, which they make in 30 seconds these days, and they get a slap on the wrist. That's why we just talked about the civil trial, right? That's they go, they give me some money, Norfolk Southern, but nobody goes to jail and several more injured when Pfizer tested out a drug called Troven on 200 children. The drug was supposed to treat a deadly regional outbreak of meningitis. Pfizer agreed to pay $75 million in compensation in 2009, but they introduced DNA testing as part of the process for qualifying for the payment. Oh, what a Back shock. at home, so survive- you're basically then getting paid for your DNA so they can continue experimenting and testing. It's disgusting. It's like Shamsu, who was crippled, and that. their families feel the DNA test is designed to deny them of the compensation money. Many say and they've it, already provided Pfizer with documents proving their children were part of the trial. And then, of course, the disgusting reality of the way that they live is because of foreign policy, both the U.S. and Britain, and, you know, keeping them. We just covered this, right? So you have pharmaceutical companies testing on them, hurting them, destabilizing, killing them. And then they live in poverty and in places like this because of what they're taking from them. That's the truth, guys. That's what's going on. In the climate form we filled, they stated clearly that only when we undergo a DNA test, they will pay the compensation. Pfizer, which denies all wrongdoing, even though it's agreed to pay out $75 million, says the DNA test is designed to guard against fraudulent claims. As we're talking, we have about, we've, we've collected samples from 547 people. To what end? 
how exactly can you prove that they don't have it? What, what's Okay, here's an interesting point. The only way that makes sense to me is if there's a genetic marker that they can test for, right? How else are you going to, okay, let's say somebody lies. You have, you have some paralysis and you go, oh, he took the vaccine too. Well, we take a DNA test. How do you prove that they're lying with their DNA? They're injured, which seems to overlap. But the only way would make sense is if there's some kind of genetic marker, which means that they've been doing this same thing for a long time. And only 200 people participated in the study. So what do we do? But many of the victims are poor and illiterate. They don't understand what DNA testing is and fear it's another attempt by Pfizer right. to make them guinea pigs in a new drug trial. Exactly. Some victims abandoned their claims when DNA testing was introduced as a condition of receiving payment. Now, you know, I have to take issue with that in general. Sure, a lot of them might be. But let's be real, guys. When you actually find out like, that they are well aware of what's going on and they go, oh, well, you have to you continue to experiment on me. You want to take my DNA? Well, then I'm not going to involve myself with this. That's also what's happening. Like just because they live in this like, this location does not mean they're uneducated and stupid. And, and you know, back world, like the way that the U.S. and the West wants us to perceive these countries is disgusting. And most of the reason that they're even like that in the case that they are is because of foreign policy. Some of the compensation money released by Pfizer has gone into building this $25 million medical research and disease control center. Gosh, darn it, man. You see how that works? So they use the, they go, here's money for what we did. And then they use their own money to build something they can use to continue to experiment and test on them. It's just so stupidly broken. Like, I, I hate to sorry, laugh about it. But it's just so crazy. This is ridiculous. On the cert, this is a, this is a long time ago. We're dealing with it even more clearly today. Just like everything else, PFAS and dioxin, they've known, they've hidden it, they've lied, and then they use their own mistake to push the next thing. The hope is that one day locals will be able to deal with things like outbreaks of disease and medical epidemics themselves. It may go some way to healing the wounds of Pfizer's experiment and benefit the survivors who are simply too afraid to go for DNA testing. If on day right, and zero legal accountability is the overarching point. They literally tested on people. There's reports. They've admitted they paid. Nobody went to jail. Pfizer is the one is clearly leading this today. How can a company that's been paid out? I mean, here, let's just bring that up again before. Uh, here, I'll show you this. This is the the Al Jazeera report from the 2011 where they pay. They pay Nigeria drug trial victims. 546 families. Or rather, it says U.S.-based Pfizer pays first four of possible 546 families for deaths and disabilities. 546. It really, it, this, this is why I do this, guys. I am not okay with this. I cannot live in a world where this is allowed. I fight every day to stop this from being the reality in, in pharmaceutical world and foreign policy. Because so many people are stepped on every day by the people that scream that they're fighting for good things. Here's Pfizer's tracker right here. I've shown you this so many times. This is from, there's 96 records just from the year 2000. They have paid out almost $11 billion in criminal fines. Just taking the most obvious false claims act, which means they lie about what the drugs can do. 20 different times they've been caught for that. Over a billion dollars in penalties. Or off-label, unapproved promotion, safety-related offenses, 15 times. 
you know, like lying about what's happening, ignoring side effects and lying to people about what's going on. It's just so ridiculously obvious. $2.3 billion was the largest payout. Just a bat of an eye. I guarantee you they've got this lined up and ready so they get a payment and they keep doing what they're doing. Things like this where they test on people and nobody cares. In fact, I'd be willing to bet you that they benefited from it because the government did too. It's my opinion. Well, Pierre Corey points out something I think is really important. Before COVID-19, he says, I fully admit I'd have had difficulty believing vaccines caused sudden infant deaths or that our government would have covered up decades of evidence showing that they did. Midwestern doctor did a remarkable job of compiling that evidence. Now, for time, I'm not going to get into this today, but I will. I have this off on another page already. I want to go through this entire article and go through this, but you should read this. Follow Pierre Corey as well. The point is that we already know that SIDS, which is what that stands for, or SADS, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, by definition, takes 10 seconds to look it up. It means we don't know. Most people don't even know that. So ask yourself how a child can get diagnosed with I don't know. That's what it means. Sudden infant death syndrome means we don't know what the cause is, but the infant suddenly died, and quite literally, we don't know why. So we we just have a category for it. But that category has very strangely, very tellingly become a diagnosis. And SADS as well. So what he's saying is that... the evidence is very clear that the injections are, are the primary reason why this is happening, possibly entirely. It's not hard to understand. It doesn't have to mean, by the way, that they're the, you know, what all the other possible narratives. I mean, it, it, look, I'm not, I don't believe this, but it could also mean that they're more beneficial than not. That's, I don't, I aggressively don't think that's the truth. But my point is that that still is possible in that conversation and, and it's still not being talked about. But with everything else and all the data we have, especially with flu and COVID injections, it's obvious this is hurting people. There was even a report that just came out about a flu vaccine that killed a toddler, and then it got immediately censored and scrubbed. But how you can diagnose with something that is we don't know, it shows you this is being covered up. Children's Health Defense points out a a very, very sad story. They lost their smiles. A mother of triplets, triplets, who all got injections, or rather specifically their routine pneumonia injections, all three of them within days came down with autism. And I came down, right? This is not some process. This is undeniably true. And it's just so embarrassing that we can't come to terms with this. Watch Vax 2, the full documentary. I recommend you do. The point is, autism It's not, I mean, the bottom line is that if all three of them come down, all following the injection, that is one hell of a coincidence. Or it's exactly what it looks like. And people are just plugging their ears and stomping their feet. uh, Iversionism points out, UK babies given toxic vaccines, according to GlaxoSmithKline in 2002. Wasn't it interesting how we just can't seem to wrap our minds around how this is possible today? Well, yeah, this is a real article. You want to see it? 2002, British drug giant GlaxoSmithKline, who's still prominent today, has finally admitted. So which means they lied since the 70s, by the way, about killing children, that thousands of babies in the country were inoculated with a batch of toxic whooping cough vaccines in the 1970s. Some experts believe that these Trivax vaccines, isn't that interesting, as we step into the 
bivalent, trivalent, quadvalent flu vaccines, COVID injections, which they say has not passed critical company safety tests. Well, that's something interesting and relevant and exactly what's happening today. Some experts believe that these Trivax vaccines, which had not passed critical company safety tests, may have caused permanent brain damage and even fatalities in young children. The point is they admitted this. They admit it. They stand up decades later and say, yeah, yeah, we got, yeah, that's what happened. Imagine that. Imagine in 2060, Pfizer goes, yeah, our bad. We did something wrong. And then nothing happens. That would be the equivalent of this. Sorry, COVID vaccines were bad. We knew. Sorry. I just It's just infuriating that the very people screaming they're the smart ones and screaming they're there to protect you can't wrap their mind around this or don't care to. Stephen Kurtz points out, as everybody showed who's honest, but none of the government seemed to care. He goes, okay, so huge excess mortality post-injection. And most all of it wasn't caused by COVID at their own report. Scientists worldwide are baffled. One clue, the excess deaths are only affecting vaccinated people. I wonder why. We're baffled, though, guys. We're baffled. Here's the source, by the way, if you want to check it out, from the WHO. Paul, uh, Aaron Seri points out, Dr. Paul Offit engages in a litany of false claims to argue, this is absolutely incredible to me, it is casually cruel to properly test childhood vaccines in a placebo-controlled trial prior to licensure. Isn't that interesting? So we just went full circle from 30 seconds ago, the entire internet screaming that RFK's wrong, everything's tested properly, Joe Rogan's a conspiracy theorist, and then Paul Offa comes out and goes, well, but it's casually cruel to do that, though. That we don't do what we do, you just say, think about how wild that is. He says, when do we know that vaccines are safe? Beyond the noise, the casual cruelty of placebo-controlled vaccine trials. (laughs) That's literally what he's talking about, guys. I mean, let's not forget, that was just the focus of this conversation. That both, I mean, all the, what was it that, uh, I don't even care, those corporate news ridiculous people that pushed back and said, I don't know, that is not true. There was two of them, actually. Anyway, (laughs) And he then goes on to go, well, yeah, it's actually kind of cruel. So this is the game. That's how it works. It's lie, 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 and then true, but here's why we don't need it. And nobody seems to step in the middle of that, in the side that buys the lies. Well, this is largely why. As Champagne Joshi points out, see how it works? Mark McClellan works for the FDA, keeping you safe. Then started working for Johnson & Johnson. Scott Gottlieb, working for FDA, keeping you safe, and then starts working for Pfizer. Stephen, uh, Stephen Han works for the FDA, and then starts working for Moderna. It's called the revolving door, guys. It's, at, it's everywhere. It's in finance. It's in pharmaceuticals. They control the market. We are lied to. Captured agencies. Well, Dr. Eli David points out the study we've shown you. That's a really important study. He says, this is the currently most read article in New England Journal of Medicine. Of course, none of the corporate media wants to point that out or cares about it. Very telling. One of the most prestigious journals in the world. It shreds to pieces the Israeli study that was the basis for the FDA's approval of COVID boosters. There was no evidence to support COVID boosters. It was one big fraud. Well, you've known that because you watch this show. But the study itself is important, and I'm glad people are realizing this. Here is Vinay Prasad pointing out that the New England Journal of Medicine analysis on why the data was used to push these is flawed. I mean, that's the truth. 
It's manipulated. It's wrong. It's misrepresented. You frame it how you want. The point is they do not have the evidence to back it up. The one they use to point at it is absolutely not correct, not accurate, flawed. Or they lied is what I would say. <laughs> I mean, it's very clear to me. Watch it if you want. Dr. Peter McCullough points out, as a cardiologist, he's alarmed that 58%, which is what the study is finding, after an autopsy of vaccine-induced myocarditis, 58% of those with damaged hearts on initial MRI have not recovered a year later. What was that about? Not very serious, going away very quickly? <laughs> Remember when we told you, based on the peer-reviewed science, that that's not the truth? Yet again, turning out to be right. COVID vaccine myocarditis is a pervasive safety concern, potentially fatal in young persons forced to vaccinate. Very important. Chief Nerd is pointing this out. The AHA journal link, you can read for yourself. It's in a very important study, cardiovascular assessment to up to one year after COVID vaccines. That's what they're talking about. It's undeniable, guys. These people are suffering. Ben Swan points out, as Pfizer steps in to sell cardiovascular drugs, the arsonists are the firefighters. Or any number of other valid analogies. It's like the Sackler family selling you Narcan. It's, it's an insult to your intelligence. It's an insult in general. They're making money off of their own crime, which is what criminals do. Also, before we finish with the flu point that I'm going to do really quickly, Dr. Simon uh, Godek points out, and another conspiracy theory, in quotes, seems to be coming true. You know what that is? Shedding is real. Which, good, I'm glad. Get, get it some reach. He's got a big account. But I only wish that he would have noticed that we proved this back in 2021, right? Or a lot of other people did. It says, from now on, I will block all woke minions who don't address me with pronouns told you so, which, you know, he's pointing out similar things. I'm not even making a point about Dr. Simon Goddard. I'm pointing out the general flow of information that seems very strange to me, and I always point this out. But I said, another conspiracy theory that T-Lab and others have already thoroughly broke down using peer-reviewed science quite literally years ago. Glad it's breaking through finally, but this was long ago already shown to be verifiably true. And I included just one of the many of these discussions where we talk about Dr. Warren, one of the people literally involved with the, with the discovery of mRNA itself, this, using this don't shed on me ma uh, uh, flag, COVID vaccine shedding. And the point is, it's undeniable. The expert himself points this out. Let me, actually, let me see if I can just get this to pop up really quickly, just the one. Let's see. Nope. Doesn't look like it's going to do it for me this time. Maybe that will work. Hold on. There it is. Bingo. mRNA technology pioneer says COVID-vaccinated people can shed spike protein. Now, Twitter originally censored him, right? But then they were forced to put it back because he's like the expert on this topic. So they reinstated him, and here's what he said. I believe the shedding idea is that vaccinated shed spike protein, not virus. And it's certainly true that people vaccinated with mRNA vaccines do shed spike protein. But in minuscule amounts that almost certainly can't cause disease. Now, here's what's interesting. When he wrote this, the general consensus was that, it, was that it stayed in your shoulder and it didn't go. Well, we've proven that's not true. Over and over and over. We've proven that it, it, it I'll, just, I'll just grab the, the, the massive peer-reviewed study that finds the sustained synthesis of the spike protein. But there's a thousand different examples of this being facetious, but, you know, lots of examples. Peer-reviewed study 
many of them, that show the mRNA vaccine, or what is it? The mRNA vaccines promote sustained synthesis of the spike protein. They continue to make them. And by the way, based on the continuing evolution of the information, it seems pretty clear that was by design. That's my opinion, but I don't know how you accidentally make this the way they did. The point is that this continues, and it doesn't stay in your shoulder muscle. Peer-reviewed science has found that it's in your blood within, actually, that's that's one I can grab that shows that. The one I keep screaming, I keep posting under the Red Cross. Just so they keep, you know, they keep arguing that they don't label vaccinated blood because it doesn't go in the bloodstream. Well, yeah, it does. And here, as I said, is another peer-reviewed study. There's like three of them that find exactly what you're saying isn't true. But they stand by it anyway. SARS-CoV-2 spike mRNA vaccine sequences circulate the blood up to 28 days after vaccination. <laughs> Red Cross are such manipulators. They're openly lying to people with this. So the point is that we do know that it's actually more than a little bit. So if we do know that it sheds and it continues to make them, well, you continue to shed spike protein. And this is just one of the points. I went through this in depth on a lot of different points. The reality is undeniable. And that gets into a lot of other possibilities, too, about self-spreading discussions and whether that was the design. Because, frankly, what's the difference here? If you're shedding spike protein and that gets somebody can grab that, which, by the way, see here, I, I just can't stop. <laughs> It's all these points that the hardcore TLAF followers already know where I'm going, but just for those that might be new, that they also found peer-reviewed study, and this is and here's the actual study itself, the peer-reviewed study if you want to look at it, and it's actually far more extensive, but the main point is they proved the spike protein alone was enough to cause disease, right? So if we do know the spike protein can shed, we do know that it's continually circulating, continually made, and that it, you somehow catch that, it causes disease, which means you have symptoms, and you can then spread it. My question is, well, that's not whatever we call SARS-CoV-2, because it's only a protein from it. So what is it? It's self-spreading something, right? Either way, the main point is that we do know this is true. So we proved that a long time ago with peer-reviewed science, with the experts' opinion, and it's just incredibly infuriating that it takes other people to point these things out, right? But Sense Receptor points out enormous amounts of vaccine shedding via multiple routes. Now, what I love about this is they point, this is, again, from the FDA's, you know, where people speak up. And what you watch of yourself, it's three minutes long. And there's a lot of evidence from this expert pointing this out. Passage of mRNA in the milk. Passage, it's all, and this is about mRNA, not just the spike protein. Oops. So it's, it's the answer, yes, guys. We know this. What that means going forward, I don't know. I mean, I, I did my best to stop it beforehand. <laughs> I wish more people would have paid attention. Now, finally, with the flu point, and I will going to dive into this more because I think this, is in, I think this is going to be used if I had to guess right now, but this is from yesterday. Two people in Michigan have been infected with swine flu after attending county fairs. It just, you know, same kind of response you get down here. Whatever, you know, it just came, you know, LOL. Here's the report. CDC reports two humans infected with swine flu viruses. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported two swine flu viruses in 2023. According to the CDC, they were caused by two different types of flu viruses. You don't say. That makes no sense at all, seeing as how they're in this, these two pigs right next to each other. But it says that normally spread among pigs. And they occurred in two people who attended different agricultural fairs in Michigan. Oh, well, I take that back then. Either way, it's interesting. Same time. 
that they're ha- that basically swine flu pops up at the same time, two different places, different strains. Like even that doesn't seem very likely to me. Every year there are rare sporadic human infections with flu viruses that usually spread in pigs. He says when we find these, these are called variant flu virus infections. Okay. We never heard this before, COVID-19 land. But main point down here, it says a major swine flu outbreak was triggered in 2009 after a mutated version of the virus H1N1 spilled over into humans. Well, that's not even true. I mean, I literally will show you on WHO, HHS website where they literally call that a pandemic of fear. In the end, again, they go on with the lie, about one in five people globally became infected. <laughs> that's why I played that in the beginning. But that was the older swine flu lie, which has happened before. For the U.S., there were estimated to have been about 60 million cases, sort of like the lie they did with COVID and everything else, alongside 275,000 hospitalizations and 12,000 deaths. Well, what do you think about that? Well, let's see what, uh, oh, for, before I get to it, here's another post from Euronews. Swine flu strain passed from humans to pigs nearly 400 times since 2009. <laughs> I, don't, it's just, I don't understand how this logically makes sense. So what are you trying to argue here? That the fact that we didn't get injections for this somehow was bleeding back over into pigs, which I don't even know if that makes sense, but then that caused this to happen. That's kind of where this is going. But here's the interesting part. Even with their lie, which I'll show you in a second, about how bad this H1N1 strain really was, these were not even remotely given to everybody in the world. It was pretty much the bottom line. It was not even close. Some were given, it wasn't even on the same ballpark as a COVID-19 like man, world mandate, right? So why didn't it keep going? Explain that for me. If it's clearly been circulating, I mean, you're literally saying it's been going back and forth. Why were they getting sick then? Anybody care to point that out? If it's the big, if what they're saying is this crazy pandemic that killed 60 million or 60 million cases, almost 300,000 hospitalizations, 12,000 deaths. Why didn't it keep going if you didn't vaccinate everybody? I don't understand that. Well, because the truth is, it was not even real. Not in the sense that they, they are saying it. I'll show you this right now. I've shown you this many times. What's really interesting is that right around 2014 and a little bit, like right somewhere in there forward, this just they just stopped caring about this. I've even told, pointed out that these two people in general, I've shown you their Twitter accounts and how weird it is that right around COVID, they just kind of got quiet. But what's interesting, in 2011, the WHO, said health is more than influenza. The repeated pandemic health scares caused by H5N1, bird flu, and then H1N1 are parts of culture of fear. It's the WHO, guys. I mean, think about that for a second. That means we should blindly trust, but these are the groups that have been seriously shifted. People have been removed. Now the ones in charge are like, just that's not even true. Never happened. It says in both pandemics of fear, the exaggerated claims of a severe public health threat stem primarily from disease advocacy by influenza experts like a Dr. Fauci. It says the struggle for attention and budgets is fierce. The pharmaceutical industry and the media only react to this welcome boon. This is WHO speaking. They, we therefore need fewer, not more, preparedness plans, which is we all, it's all we get now. Or definitions, which they get all, all the time. It says... The opposite of preemptive strikes against worst case scenarios are adaptive strategies, which is, you know, that, that they're all about the preemptive, right? But it says disease experts wish to capture the public attention and sway resource allocation decisions in the favor of the disease of their interest. That's where we are. The point is that H1N1, according to the WHO, which, by the way, is on the Wayback Machine or archive because they removed it. 
That's how much this is trying to be covered up. That H1N1 wasn't what they said it was. Neither was the, the one in swine flu, I think, with 70-something. As we played that clip for you. Maybe I'll just play a little bit of this one since we're already past three hours anyway. Let me play this one real quick, and then we're going to wrap up with these last two points. This is just a little bit of the longer version of what I played to open. The swine flu scare of 1976. That was the year the U.S. government told us all that swine flu could turn out to be a killer that could spread across the nation. And Washington decided that every man, woman, and child in the nation should get a shot to prevent a nationwide outbreak, a pandemic. Well, 46 million of us obediently took the shot. And now 4,000 Americans are claiming damages from Uncle Sam amounting to $3.5 billion because of what happened when they took that shot. By far the greatest number of the claims, two-thirds of them, are for neurological damage or even death, allegedly triggered by the flu shot. We pick up the story back in 1976 when the threat posed by the swine flu virus seemed very real indeed. Where did this so-called deadly variety of flu, where did it first hit back in 1976? It began right here at Fort Dix right in New Jersey in January of that year when a number of recruits began to complain of respiratory ailments, something like the common cold. Dr. David Sensor, then head of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, is now in private industry. He devised the swine flu program and he pushed Like it. Pfizer. You Private industry. That's how it works. The American people in October of 76. October 1st. By that time, how many cases of swine flu around the world had been reported? There had been uh, several reported, but none confirmed. There had been cases in uh, uh, Australia that were reported by the press, uh, by the news media. There were cases in... Uh, none confirmed. Did you ever uncover you any ever other uncover outbreaks any of swine flu anywhere in the world? Not ever confirmed. No. It's crazy. Now, nearly everyone Never. was to receive the shot in a public health facility where a doctor might not be present. Therefore, it was Think up to the that. CDC to come up with some kind of official consent form, giving the public the all the information it needed about the swine flu shot. Except the consent. stated that the swine flu vaccine had been tested. What it didn't say was Lies. that after those tests were completed... The scientists developed another vaccine, and that was the one given to most of the 46 million who took the shot. That vaccine That's what happened with COVID-19 too, guys. Same game. Nope. Uh, I, I can't say I would have to. Uh, it wasn't. Take that on notice. I don't know. I would think that you're in charge of the program. I would have to check uh, the records. I haven't uh, looked at this in some time. Whether Did it's anyone tested? ever come to you and say, <laughs> My God. You know something, fellas? There's the possibility of neurological damage if you get into a mass immunization program. No. No one ever did? No. Lies. Do you know Michael Hatwick? Yes. Mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Hatwick <laughs> yeah, directed... Yeah. The guy that goes on to say exactly that, who on the record has already said it, which the guy speaking knew. Guys, this has never stopped. This has been the same thing all the way back then. And that's not to suggest that we that all this technology can't be useful in some way. It's not forced on people. I'm not, I don't know, because I've been lied to my whole life. But the point is that these people are dishonest, and it's been going on as long as you've been alive. It's absolutely that incredible. Now, the WHO said the same thing in 2011. Now, in this one, I believe, was 2000. Uh, 17 it was it was a uh, save in the way back machine i forgot i think 2006 i forget the date again that does say 2017 but i don't think that's when it was anyway the point is let's just say it's after that which i do know i forget the date off the top of my head but the point is i'm not gonna go into this one because it's longer 
But this last thing we'll end with goes over most of this, which it says the same thing. They're pointing out the fact that the CDC knows that they're conflating flu and pneumonia when ultimately they can barely prove the smallest amount of flu cases. I mean, the numbers are unbelievable. As it says here, in 2001, they claimed 61,000 were true. Uh, 2,000 were flu, but they ended up in 61,777 were attributed to pneumonia and only 257 to the flu and only 18 were even positively identified. And then down here, they talk about in 2004, which the article gets into, well, they argue, well, nobody's paying attention. No one's taking the jabs we want to give them. So let's create an illusion that makes them feel like they need them. And now that's my words, but that's exactly just paraphrasing what they're talking about. You can argue they think it's for some greater good that they need these things, but they're on the record saying we need to scare them. And again, just like they did with COVID. Remember, we need to scare them. Well, to finish, the Huffington Post, of all places, in 2014. Again, that's my point. It's like right about after this, they just stopped talking about this. Don't believe everything you read about the flu deaths. Right, here's, here's where Operation Mockingbird got kicked into high gear and everything got cast away. It says 36,000 deaths a year in the United States. the number we just showed you, right? But it says those numbers are controversial because they're estimates, which is what that actually breaks down. Oh, in case I didn't make it clear, this is the, H, the Health and Human Services posted this. So we have Health and Human Services and the WHO openly saying the CDC's game with flu and pneumonia is a lie and dishonor. And we just forget about that, right? But the point is, in this HHS post, they make that clear that they're just, it's estimates. They're modeling, just like the World uh, Imperial College of London in a lie about COVID-19. So we know that now they're misrepresenting, at the very least, just like flu, pneumonia, and COVID. According to the National Vital Statistics System in the U.S., for example, annual flu deaths in 2010 amounted to just 500 per year. That's pretty interesting. Fewer than, fewer than deaths from ulcers, almost 3,000. Or hernias, almost 2,000. And pregnancy and childbirth, 825. And a far cry from big killers like heart disease, almost 600,000. Cancers, almost 600,000 as well. The story is smaller in Canada, where unlikely killers, likewise dwarf statistic Canada's count of flu deaths. Even that 500 figure for the U.S. could be too high. According to the analyses in authoritative journals like the American Journal of Public Health and the British Medical Journal, Today would be called a fringe health blog, right? Only about 15 to 20% of people who come down with a flu-like symptom, same today, even worse actually, have actually have the influenza virus. The other 80 to 85% actually can't caught coronavirus or other germs that are indistinguishable from the flu without being tested for it, which rarely happens. U.S. data on influenza deaths are a mess says a 2005 article in the British Medical Journal entitled, quote, Are U.S. Flu Deaths Figures More PR Than Science? We've actually shown you that on the show. This article takes issue with the 36,000 flu deaths figure commonly claimed and with describing influenza and pneumonia as the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S. It says, quote, Why are flu and pneumonia bundled together? Asked the article in the British Medical Journal. It says, Is the relationship so strong or unique to warrant characterizing them as a single cause of death? The answer is no says the British Medical Journal, most pneumonia deaths are unrelated to influenza. For example, stomach acid-suppressing drugs are associated with a higher risk of community-acquired pneumonia. But such drugs and pneumonia are not compiled as a single statistic. This is coming from David Rosenthal from Harvard University. You know, that fringe outlet. People don't necessarily die, per se, of the flu virus. 
what they die of is secondary pneumonia. Now, that's how they use this conflation. But when you realize that most of those aren't even associated with the flu, well, suddenly you start to realize that we're actively being played. And that's why most of the things they pushed on people to stop what they told you was COVID were in fact causing pneumonia or other things, which were then called COVID-19. Because death certificates belie claims of numerous flu deaths, CD enlisted computer models. Of course they did. To arrive at the 36,000 flu death estimate. But even here, it needed to bend conventional medical terminology to arrive at compelled death numbers. This, this, is, this would not be written today, guys. Not in this, not in the post anyway. Cause of death statistics are based solely on the underlying cause of death, internationally de- defined as the disease of, or injury which initiated the train of events leading directly to death. You see, that's very different secondary things that you catch afterward or like the bottom line is this is typically something well i'll I'll finish the statement as examples explains the national center for health statistics because the flu was rarely an underlying cause of death the cdc created a sound alike term influenza associated death which is what we hear now covid19 associated death right this is a scam using this new loose definition the cdc's computer models Of course, after manipulating that, could tally people who died of heart ailments or other causes after having the flu, right? So as long as you had the flu, anything like we saw today, uh, you you have a, 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 you get a car accident and you get tested for COVID, we call that COVID death, right? They know how to play this. As William Thompson, the CDC's National Immunization Program admitted, he was the whistleblower, influenza-associated mortality as a statistical association. I don't know that we would say that it's true. It's the underlying cause of death. The CDC's decision to play up flu deaths dates back a decade when it realized the public wasn't following its advice on flu vaccines. That's this part of it down here in regard to the 2004 National Influenza Summit. That's what they're referencing. It's right there. And what they're referencing is the 2003 flu season, right? Well, they, then they had the meeting, and well, this is down here. It says, it really looked like we needed to do something to encourage people to get a flu shot, said NPR. The CDC's response was its seven-step recipe for generating interest in and demand for flu vaccine. Not because they need it, but because we want it, we think we, it's necessary. So we're going to generate interest in demand, which, by the way, read this for yourself using dishonest tactics. Right, we are. We want to convince people that this is something they're afraid of or in risk, which, by the way, is not even true. That they're not really that at risk from. The CDC unabashedly decided to create a mass market for the flu vaccine by enlisting the media into a into panicking the public. So, what the point is, they used the 2004 summit to argue that they should conflate pneumonia and flu, and therefore, boom, there you go. It looks more dangerous. An obedient and unquestioning media obliged by hyping the numbers. And 10 years later, it's obliging still. Here's what's hilarious. The unquestioning media that obliged, well, Huffington Post is now part of that. Maybe always was, who knows. It's just staggering how clear this is. Hopefully this will reach the people that need to see it. Thank you for tuning in today. Way longer than I wanted today, but I just really need to get a lot of that in. Now imagine I had another you know, gigantic trans discussion on the end of it. We'll be getting into that possibly tomorrow, if not the next day. But thank you for tuning in today, guys. Please share all the information. Please clip up any parts of this and share it out. Preferably the the whole, I mean, any one of these parts that are important to clip up and share by themselves. So please do so. Get this in front of people that need to see it. Thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, always question everything.
come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.